Hello everyone and welcome back once again to the Over Manga Cast. That time we woke up in a podcast and had to explain manga, our heated adventures, overanalyzing manga that we find interesting. My name is Sam and this week I'm very excited because I got to pick our manga this week and oh you know what that means, ultraviolence, incomprehensible lore, and just a touch of sadness, it is Kentaro Miura's epic Berserk. We read the first three volumes, the Black Swordsman arc, so in honor of Miura-sama's memory, let's get into the show. Hello everyone, and welcome back to the Over Manga Cast. My name is Sam, and as always, here at the top of the episode, we talk about what our familiarity with the franchise we read this week is. Uh, for me, this is a bit of a weird one, because uh, I have had a lot of tangential experience with Berserk. Uh, I had not read it or watched any of the numerous animes, but in high school, I was friends with several guys who had read Berserk and talked about it quite a lot, and I absorbed a lot of the plot that way. And then in college, I became a super fan of Dark Souls, so <laughs> I have played uh, everything from Dark Souls to Elden Ring, and... As a result, it made this a very interesting experience, and now I felt it was a good time to go back to the to the roots, to the wellspring of uh, so many things that have crossed me in life, and finally see uh, for myself where it all began. Uh, let's see. Jacob, how about you? Experience with Berserk. Kind of similar uh, to a lesser extent. Like, I've, I've not really, like, hung out with, uh, you know, super fans of Berserk quite as much. There is, like, a pop culture knowledge of Berserk that, um, particularly in, like, anime circles, I understand, like, what Berserk is about, like, and the kind of story it is. I know some elements of the plot going in. I don't know why this sticks out in my mind, but I always, I, I always remember there being, like, someone mentioning that, like, there's there's never going to be a good adaptation of Berserk. And then almost immediately afterward, a a new adaptation of Berserk got announced. I don't, I don't know if that's true or not. I just like, that's something that sticks out in my mind. Uh, when I think about Berserk, you know, I mean, like I, I knew what we were getting into, but I, I didn't, properly know the story you knew what we were getting into but you didn't know what we were getting into yeah uh how about you jay experience with berserk absolutely so i was part of the manga anime cultural sphere similar to most of us here um berserk was something i kind of learned about through osmosis um i knew what it was about i was familiar i, I believe mostly with the art and quite honestly, when I started gravitating towards manga and anime, it did not immediately draw my attention. It looked um, a little rough around the edges. Um, definitely was not something that I immediately gravitated toward. However, as I became more familiar with the genre and have read other pieces and became familiar with different mangaka and noted their inspiration and where they draw um, different plot points and different elements, in popular culture, um, it all leads back to Berserk. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. All roads lead to Berserk. Yes. And Matt? Uh, yeah, I'm aware Berserk exists. I don't know how you could possibly not be. Um, <laughs> my only real experience with it is I watched all of uh, HBI2K's uh, Berserk the Abridged series. Uh, I'm aware that dates myself, but um, hopefully none of you know what that is. So uh, <laughs> it won't matter. <laughs> 
a bridge series in general is a good way to date yourself. But yes, we uh, start off with uh, a page that just tells you exactly what this series is going to be about. Because very first panel, very first image, just guts banging a lady. A lady, and, is it? Well, she appears to be one for about... Uh, How dare you assume their gender? Yes, it's gender is it. <laughs> because it is a giant monster demon thing. But still hot. At least initially. I was just saying, when a prostitute is going to charge you three fifty for the deal, you know what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> with that all in mind, they don't like cut around it it's very much like you know a, a, a full body shot of this happening and it's camera angle so to say is done in such a way that it you know doesn't you know publishing standards problems cause but like guts is planking over her right now <laughs> but like there's a sort of transgressive nature to the opening the the very first image that you see once you you know open the the book up and it then proceeds to extraordinarily extreme hyperviolence. It has a very naturally and very intentional transgressive feel to it that does a good job of setting the tone. If you're not on board with anything that's happening on page right now, you're not going to be happy about Berserk, and you should probably move on to something else. And I really appreciate mm -hmm. that. It's actually very, very similar to the immediate reaction I had to the uh, somewhat recent uh, animated series, The Legend of Vox Machina. It basically does the same thing, where it it shows you how uh, graphic it gets, both in sexual and or nudity sense and in a violent sense, right away. And it's like, hey, this is what we are, you know? If you don't like it... Move along. That's fine. That's, like fine. This, that's fine. The same kind of vibe of like we see people with like medieval clothing on and like that kind of era on the front. You're like, oh, what might this be? The very first thing both of those series tell you is we are not King Arthur. This yeah. is uh, mm -hmm. King Arthur is a bad example if you actually go into it, I suppose. But um, uh, yeah, this, we're not a classic fantasy series. We're a dark fantasy series. Yeah. Which, mm -hmm. considering the time period Berserk was made, is very in vogue for then. Like, that was early 90s. Like, that was the, the bread and butter, was adding a level of grime onto things that were pristine and clean in earlier times. Mm -hmm. A response to a lot of that stuff. And, and uh, you know, I, I really appreciate how open it is about that sense of itself. Mm -hmm. This is also actually a pretty great characterization moment for Guts because it very it immediately establishes what his pattern will be for the remainder of our reading in terms of how he actually fights demons. Not always, yes. you know, seducing them. He immediately but, asserts dominance. But, well, yes, he does that. But also his style is using whatever excuse he can to get directly into the monster's face and then tear said face off with extreme hyperviolence. I love it. And Guts is got no sacrifices too much for him. He will risk every part of his body. It's every almost part. like Guts has some guts. <laughs> mm -hmm. Or a crippling amount of self-hatred. Ah, a little bit of column A. Yeah, we're we're going to get there. Yeah. Yeah. I really like about Guts is like, he seems to be constantly going out of his way to go like, hey, I am not a hero in a storybook. Mm -hmm. Like it, he mm -hmm. is <laughs> at no I point. I love it so much. I love antiheroes. It's like, don't call me the protagonist. 
growling voice. Mm. <laughs> sort of the uh, takeaway for me, and like the, this is something that gets explored throughout our section of reading. There's also the sense of like, you know, like he's doing this for practical purposes, but like, you know, he's also screwing a lady and like, you know, it's like I might as well enjoy it in the meantime. And then, oh, we're demon fighting now. And he just immediately decapitates the thing. You don't know right away, like in this opening moment, it it becomes more and more obvious how this actually uh, plays out relative to his character. But it has this sense of like him not caring about anyone or anything around him. Like he's doing a job and he's going to do whatever the hell he wants in the meantime. There's no such thing as fighting dirty. There's no such thing as consequence. I'm just going to go do. And uh, we see more of this as he strides into a town. And as he's heading out, as he's heading in, uh, a carriage is heading out, a carriage full of women and children in a cage. Okay, <laughs> that's not ominous or anything, but uh, Guts looks at that. Uh, as if he recognizes what's going on. Cut to a tavern where, for more indication of exactly how uh, brutal and callous this world can be, a small sprite-looking creature has been tied to a post and is having knives thrown at it by uh, big hulking thug types. And they're complaining about it dodging. Mm -hmm. Yep, this is where we are introduced to Puck the Elf. Uh, Best character. <laughs> Puck is pretty great. I do like Puck a lot. I didn't think I would, but uh, then I actually experienced, you know, the story, and <laughs> I, I kind of love the little guy. He's <laughs> he is very incorrigible. Okay, so so here, here's the thing. I I don't want to uh, misgender Puck. Is Puck a he? Because they because Puck is obviously very intentionally drawn, extremely androgynous. I'm going to assume male only because the when we later we see a um like specimen of another elf that one's drawn very femininely mm -hmm. so i i think it's one of those you assume i think it's smurf logic if they're mm -hmm. not wearing a dress they're a boy okay yeah i not not saying that's good or anything i'm just saying that's the time period it is also yeah i was just gonna say it is also very much the case where this is a this is a 90s series and that sort of like uh gender theory isn't you know wasn't really even really in its infancy mm -hmm. at the time so yeah, but it's just but, one of those ones where I kind of like, I mean, like one of the things I, I couldn't help but notice and like it kind of goes back to the same thing with um, Berserk being an overtly transgressive series. There is that sort of sense that like Puck is there. There are some cases where Puck is drawn very, very femininely. And, you know, mm -hmm. it, it sort of made me think it's like, are you supposed to notice that? Is that supposed to be a thing? But, you know, we haven't gotten far enough for me to know if that ever gets brought up. Puck has beautiful way. eyes. Yes. I think Puck is just beautiful because Puck is an elf. Yeah, elves mm. are beautiful. I'm sorry, Sam. Mm. I love them. <laughs> <sighs> it's okay. Everyone else hates elves in this, so. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I do like Puck. There can be good elves. Just for that. Grandpa, no you can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, Guts proves that he might be a murder hobo, but he's a murder hobo with standards. As he walks up to the bartender, drops a coin on the bar, says, I'm gonna mess up your shop a bit, loads his crossbow arm, and starts murdering the hell out of all of these thugs. Okay, so I love this moment specifically because of the way it plays in with the first scene of our reading and the last scene of our reading. 
because mm-hmm. the comments that have been made about Guts, like, not being the hero of the story, like, he's not a good guy, man, that's totally accurate. That's 100% the way Guts wants to be seen by the world, and that's how he wants to actually be. But the truth is, Guts is actually a lot nicer a person than that, because he had absolutely no reason to do that. That was pure kindness out of the goodness of his heart, plain and simple. And it's such a subtle moment that it's easy to pass over and not think about very much. But it's a reflexive action for him. He knew he was about to cause this guy trouble, so it's the least he can do. So why not, right? Another thing I like about Guts, though, is like there's the he always questions when he does something good. Like you kind of wonder, does he internalize what he just did as a bad thing? Like, he's reflexively good, but is still, like, contextualizing, I'm not helping these people in the long run. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I think he has justified it to himself that the best thing to do for people is for them to stand up on their own. And he acknowledges everyone can't fight their own battles, but hey, that's luck of the draw. But then something about that inherent unfairness still digs at him. (laughs) Oh, yeah, Yeah. no, I I, I love that aspect of his character, because, like, 100%, he... He wants to believe he's not a hero. He wants to believe he's not a good person. He wants to believe all these things. And yet, and yet here he is paying a guy for causing a problem that's going to cause some property damage and saving a little sprite thing. I know. It's almost as if he's a fragile, weak little human. <laughs> yeah, what's the matter, human boy? You're gonna be weak. <laughs> we're we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but yeah, no, I mean, like this is this is the important element of this moment is it really establishes the subtlety of Guts's character. There are some cases Berserk will actually shine a spotlight on this duality of Guts's personality, and I think that that's important in a story. Like there is an element of like show don't tell, but sometimes you kind of do need to explain some things to the audience so that they know to pay attention to, you know, like that's mm-hmm. what framing is. Um, but this is just such a good moment of it shows, it shows who Guts is in the dark, so to say, and who that is is a good person. Yep. Despite all, all evidence that he tries to stack to the contrary. Indeed. He certainly does appear to be quite the terrible demon as he uses his rapid-fire crossbow mechanical arm to mow down these thugs. And when a few more of them come at him, he pulls out the Dragon Slayer, his massive sword! Multiple times it's referred to as less of a sword and more a hunk of raw iron. Also, it should be noted, uh, whilst I did know that it was the Dragon Slayer uh, from some other places that have talked about Guts as a character, uh, it was not referred to as such in our reading. Yes. Yeah, it was just reading... described on how massive and thick it was. Massive, thick, mm-hmm. heavy, and far too rough. I, I really like how it's portrayed. It, like it goes again. It's it stays in line with Guts's whole thing is he's not a fantasy hero because his like the hero's legendary signature sword is constantly described as a useless hunk, or not a useless, as a hunk of iron. Like there is no romance to it. Like mm-hmm. it is in line with he is not a storybook hero. It's his, brutal and simple. His weapon isn't important. It's a means to an end. Like it it. I just love how every part of Guts strips the romance of things because so carnal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it's also from this point on, 90% of our reading is Guts cutting people in half with his sword. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, very graphically, so, sometimes multiple people in one swing. 
it is and and just like the first scene there is no cutting around or uh softening of it like you see the internal organs yes so Mm -hmm. turn on your primal brain and you will love this (laughs) exactly exactly yeah, and and uh, I mean, like you know, like the gu- the way that guts um engages in this scene, we we've already talked at length about the thing about him paying for damages in advance, but like the the rest of this scene really builds into the other stuff that's been mentioned about guts's character, where he, this scene has strong murder hobo energy. Hey, look, that's a that's a uh, a quest hook, that little fairy thing over there. I'm gonna murder everybody in this building until I get the the uh, quest unlock. Like it's so it's so barbaric and and no thoughts had empty you know as Matt has mentioned like it strips all the romance out of it like this is what a murder hobo is in a D and D campaign as should happen to any murder hobo he is immediately confronted by a horde of like five score guards all yeah. holding him at crossbow point turns out you can't just you know cause a ruckus who knew. Mm-hmm. But he is uh, captured, imprisoned, stripped of his many, many weapons, which they note it's like this guy is carrying a whole ass arsenal on him. He could outfit an entire battalion with everything he carries on himself. Uh, th- th- that last part is a pretty much uh, a direct quote. There's there, there's a humorous element to it where it's the same joke as in Pirates of the Caribbean 3, where Elizabeth keeps like taking weapons out of her person and placing them on the <laughs> table and the pot keeps getting better. like it's that same joke and it's a it, it's like an overtly humorous moment um of like as, where does he keep this stuff it's an overtly humorous moment as guts is hanging from shackles being beaten with a whip and like not in any and sexy not, way he is covered yeah, no, in is, wow. he is yeah. covered in wounds and pouring blood i i don't know there is that one page of guts hanging from the chains <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, was very, very uh, skilled at portraying the human form. We'll say. Oh yeah, I again transgressive, but yeah, no, like th- this is a this is an expression of violence, and um, it, again, you know, sort of similar to the completely shown on panel sex scene at the beginning of the story. Guts just doesn't seem to care. Mm-hmm. Like he's being he's being actively tortured and later on he will complain not about the pain but about the fact that it's caused so much swelling in his joints he can't stand up. Yeah, he he is and like and it, like at that point it comes off of that he's more annoyed that his body has been broken because now he can't do the thing right away. Like he has mm-hmm. to wait for the swelling to go down. I can't do the hyperviolence. I'm at low HP. Where's my <laughs> cleric? But um, we we do we do actually get the cleric showing up. Yes. But uh, before then, we're given uh, what becomes a bit of the ongoing pattern, at least in the reading that we have done, where a local official has been browbeaten by a big badass demon into being an absolute tyrant. Uh, whether out of cowardice, out of true malice in their heart, it doesn't matter. The point is they are uh, too afraid to stand up to the evil, and so they have uh, perpetuated evil upon their people. In this case, it is the Lord Mayor sacrificing cartfuls of women and children to the Lord of Coca Castle. Yeah, I think there. I think there's a pretty important um, distinction uh, because one big thing that Berserk takes the time 
to address the difference between is a lot of the characters that are framed negatively, you know, because it's like, you know, like these are people who couldn't have, you know, they couldn't have done anything like even if not like, everyone like, is guts. If yeah, they but- if they resisted, they'd instantly die. But there are some characters that despite their powerlessness and the idea that it's like, well, what what, what are they supposed to do? There are some people who are like let themselves be complicit in perpetuating the cruelty there's a really subtle distinction of people who you know like not to say it's like they could have done something but like they 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 make it worse because it benefits them personally Mm -hmm. and it makes a distinction between characters like that and you know people who are act who are also helpless but don't make it worse like the lord mayor is consumed by fear as we see Uh, he's coming up with desperate excuses in the face of Guts basically, you know, calling him a bloody coward. Yeah, he also elaborates and and kind of sheds some light of, you know, to himself. I believe this is an aside to himself. Like, they're eventually going to run out of sacrifices and people. And then what happens? Mm -hmm. I'd say, like, just based on what we read, I'd say Berserk as a whole actually does keep that theme and that being complicit out of fear to something is almost equally as bad. Mm. Like, they're they're pretty consistent mm. about that, is the people who are going along because they're scared. I, I think we don't have enough, like, data points to go off of, but I think the manga is saying that, like, if the choice is commit atrocities or be killed, it should be an easy choice in one direction, and most people won't make that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I feel like that's part of it's driven home even further because none of these people at any time are given any type of like concrete assurances. We don't know if the mayor is given any type of allowances other than he is allowed to live. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a pretty safe uh, based on the, his later conversation. I would assume that's a pretty safe bet to guess that is what the situation is. And there's also no assurances that the that whoever is is uh, keeping these people on a short leash is even going to honor that end of the bargain either. As the mayor goes to beg forgiveness from the Lord of Coca Castle, as said Lord is dining on human steak. Yeah, it's essentially not if, it's when. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess the um, element that uh, stood out to me was it wasn't simply like, you know, die in a grandstand or be complicit in evil there's also the sense of like if you have the opportunity to stand aside but you don't out of fear then when the murder hobo shows up it's kind of on you isn't it Mm -hmm. you know like so like there's a there's a distinction being made between being actively complicit and uh simply being helped like there's a difference between being complicit and being helpless to a bad situation and i love the subtlety in that Helplessness is a pretty big theme in this story, as we will see, particularly towards the end when the God Hand shows up. But Guts talks an awful lot about how weaklings who can't fight their own battles deserve to die. And then so many times he's put in positions where he very much appears to be that weakling. Like, he prevails because protagonist, and he is... The story ends if he doesn't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. because he's berserk but guts ultimately in the reading that we've done is just as helpless as everyone else he decries oh i i am a hundred percent betting that projection is guts's middle name like (laughs) oh yeah no i love the like one of my favorite elements of guts's character is that is the hypocrisy in his cruelest moments because 
like he is like like it's it's that classic element of it's someone trying to project strength but they try so hard that it reveals how weak they really are beneath the skin guts is physically mm -hmm. strong and he does have moments of some very genuine strength and those are his best moments not just in the sense of like because it's like he has cool moments uh he has moments that you know like like he has he has some bad moments that i enjoyed like they're you know it's not you know again there's a level of subtlety to it but like he has moments where he shows genuine strength those are his like best moments the moments where he's being like true to himself and actually being the hero he pretends he isn't but like there are so many other moments where he says these absolutely awful things and i'm just sitting there thinking you are so scared of everything around you you're absolutely mm -hmm. terrified and i absolutely love that that is the way his character is framed it makes him so much more interesting than him simply being an unstoppable badass because it's very clear that the series does not agree with a word that he's saying mm -hmm. and that theme of helplessness is kind of hammered home as the lord mayor goes to beg for forgiveness from the lord of the castle as the lord of the castle he says as much look gold prisoners you're acting like giving me these things will delay or appease me i don't need these things i don't need an excuse i can just ride down there whenever i wish and burn everything to the ground and you can't do anything to stop me in fact the black swordsman is there i think i just might this is interesting it it is that sort of standing in the face of a hurricane moment of was there something they could do probably they didn't because they were afraid and now there's nothing they can do as guts lays impotent beaten half to death in a prison cell and it takes puck showing up and using some elf magic to get him on his feet again the entire audience had to clap along and say we believe in fairies and then guts was healed mm -hmm. i i do kind of love how uh even in his moment of heroism of coming in to save uh of coming in to save guts uh puck still has to fulfill his role as comedic relief as he slips and falls into a puddle and then he sits up in the puddle and says wait a minute this puddle is yellowish don't tell me that it's <laughs> yeah puck also has some of the best facial expressions look kentaro miura allowed himself exactly one character to do comedy faces on and puck is that character everything else is done in exceeding detail yeah well, is our comic comedic relief character and also our feels character yeah, I was, I was just about to say my other favorite part about a Puck is uh, he's there for the, like, third of the audience who was like, hey, in case you didn't pick up on the subtext of what's going on, elves can also sense people's emotions when they heal them. And he proceeds to just tell you all of Guts's buried emotions. Mm. Ah, Self anguish, self-hatred, all the negative emotions, fear. Pour it's all pouring into me like black magma. These terrible feelings that swell within guts are these the source of his power honestly puck is the facilitator of the moments where you know berserk will just say it out loud and i do think it's important for stories to do that on occasion i i, I do like that guts is the og man literally too angry to die <laughs> but uh this is actually where we learn our protagonist's name uh puck asks it of him and he says that he is named guts and also he finds 
a brand mark, uh, the one part that was not healed by his healing magic, which uh, causes uh, Guts to sit up ferociously and say, it's the brand. Also, don't ever touch me again. I told you last time I will squash you if you touch me again. Little, little did you know, Guts was the OG influencer. It's all about the brand. <laughs> <laughs> all roads lead to Berserk. Yep. Well, all roads lead to Berserk. As much as I hate to uh, evoke the name most terrible, um, the brand does kind of work off of Harry Potter's scar rules as uh, the closer the evil gets, the more it hurts. But also because it has to be edgy, the more it bleeds. With uh, Guts recovered, uh, he immediately kicks back, relaxes, and waits for the violence to happen. Oh, while... yeah, I was, I, was trying, I was trying to remember if he, he, did, he doesn't actually break out, does he? Mm-hmm. He's not really on board with saving this town at the moment, considering. Well, he um, doesn't care. They they have not been good to him, and um, there, there's he basically got told by the mayor that the town is complicit. So there's a bit, little bit of Schadenfreude of like they like made their bed. I'll let them lie in it for a bit. I'm really just here for my business. They want to deal with demons. They can deal with the cost. Again, going back to that idea that um. There's a difference between being helpless and being complicit. And Guts is perfectly willing to let the town burn because they made it worse for themselves. Though it is uh, pretty, uh, pretty hard to swallow that truth as uh, the Serpent Lord in his snaky armor uh, spears a child and drinks the pouring blood off of said child's corpse from the tip of his halberd and that's how you captivate your audience they're literally killing children it's an evocative page i yeah. can't lie <laughs> i cannot argue that in they don't any they don't way, keep it behind form. closed doors and it's just implied no they're going to show you to their face yes they are killing children uh further reiterating the whole thing of how guts is uh perfectly willing to take any amount of pain if it gets him his goal uh, he was hiding among the piles of corpses after breaking out of jail, leaps up and starts cutting people down with his crossbow arm. Yeah, he pulls off his, uh, he pulls out his big sword and cut and just stands against a cavalry charge. Uh, I do love how every time Guts goes into full battle mode, like, uh, one thing we haven't mentioned is that he basically only has one eye. His other eye is permanently closed. And whenever he's in full, like, battle fury mode, his head gets shadowed, and that one eye just glows like a predator in the night. And he's got that expression as he cleaves a... as he decapitates horse and rider in a single swing. I, I know Abaddon has read uh berserk because of the sheer amount of references and kill six billion demons but i really uh just thought back to uh one of the moments in a uh later chap in a later book than we have read on this podcast of men and horses will be sundered when i saw that page it's uh a powerful image eventually though he moves on to uh dealing with the i don't think it's ever outright stated but it's very heavily implied that most of these people are they're hired hands like they're they're human people who are working for the uh for the actual evil which is a literal demon um and <laughs> there there's a bit of a there's a bit of a recurring element of like guts will like pepper the bad guy with arrows and they'll just have like arrows in their face for a while mm -hmm. like they'll they'll be like one in the chin one in the eye one in the forehead 
that didn't work i am invincible and then the actual fight starts like guts just does that out of spite well, it's because he knows it hurts even if they even if it's not uh taking them down it's still painful yeah. we have guts versus the snake apostle it's him peppering the thing with arrows until it transforms into its massive uh true demon form batters him around in uh truly brutal fashion and wanders out looking like he just walked out of Sen's Fortress. This is one of the first parts where I was like, hmm, hmm, yes, Dark Souls, hello. <laughs> I see you, uh, <laughs> Miyazaki-san. This was one of the first parts, not the dude with the armor made to look like a King Cobra. <laughs> I, I mean, that too, but <laughs> this is the Snake Man. One of the things that always gets me is the uh, servants of these apostles uh, shrieking in fear when they see the true form of their masters. It's like, oh yeah, him having sharpened teeth and eating human steak didn't do it, but he does this and now you're afraid. Played reaction. I'm like, come on! <laughs> well, I guess it just goes to show how much you're willing to ignore if it means saving your own life. Or you just, like, forgot because you were so afraid and you just completely blanked out. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And Guts is getting soul attacks, like, thrown through walls, vomiting blood. He's really not looking good. Yeah, he's going in. As the snake apostle goes to pull him up and, you know, go to eat him, as a snake is wont to do, uh, Guts pulls the exact same trick he did on the demon woman at the beginning of this manga. He shoves his metallic arm, because he has a metal arm, into the demon's mouth, pulls on the string, and it's actually a cannon. Kaboom! I have once again caused you to all to read a manga involving an arm cannon. I am victorious. <laughs> I was about to say, how do you feel now knowing that uh, Samus Aran copied Guts? Uh, honestly, pretty based. <laughs> also, because I know one person is going to say this. I'm aware that Metroid is older. Stop it. <laughs> I was literally in the act of saying that. And you were the one person I had to stop saying. You are the problem. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I am. But uh, the cannonball shot from his arm tears off like half the snake apostle's face. He picks up his sword, bisects him in a glorious two page spread. And uh, we're left with uh, Guts now interrogating the severed head, which is something that uh, happened. Look, if I had a nickel for every time that happened to the reading, I'd have two nickels, which is a lot. And I'm very disturbed it happened twice. <laughs> is that is that price with inflation? No. Is that better or worse? So much worse. So much worse. <laughs> Something about Guts stepping on the cobra head to hide the human head, pointing his crossbow machine gun arm down and saying, don't die on me yet. Firing like half a dozen bolts into the thing as it screams, stop, please. Well, because like one of the big things and like this is a this is a common refrain from any demonic character is that. I'm immortal, therefore you can't possibly defeat me. And um, this is this is the case where it gets emphasized the most in our reading. But Guts then immediately goes on to, yeah, your immortality is really helping you out right now, isn't it, buddy? I bet you're so happy you're immortal right now. How's how you feeling right now about your immortality? Like speaking of things inspired by Berserk, Eternity Devil Arc, anyone? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just love the the page of guts with like this 
he looked so like carefree, almost like he's laughing. If it wasn't for the heavy shadows and blood splatter everywhere, it would be kind of jovial with his expression as he says it's like you said humans are weak we die easily but no how matter weak we are if we keep being chopped up to bits or stabbed to death we still want to live and i'm gonna give you a taste of what that's like specifically this in particular case this is the rare case where like guts is acting cruel and it doesn't come off as a sign of weakness or um you know him like projecting or anything this is this is just a like this is like some cathartic schadenfreude of like here is something that is so evil that there really isn't a real world analog to it that was using its you know absurd supernatural powers to make people suffer and now this guy who is just so done with that nonsense gets to turn their greatest strength around on them and make them experience what they put other people through. Like, you know, it, it, it's very unapologetic in this case where, like, there are so many times where, like, Guts is like, oh, weak people deserve to die. And, like, the framing of the shots and the artwork on his face shows how empty that those words are. But in this case oh no, you're supposed to enjoy this. And like, the dude deserves it. <laughs> like, it's kind of hard to say that, you know, there, there, there's anything behind, you know, like there's anything extra relative to that. We also, we also get a bit of uh, what is the natural story loop of Berserk, which is um, bad, bad, awful, terrible, terrible thing is happening. Uh, demons are being evil. Guts kind of wanders sideways into the situation and cuts down both people who mostly do, sometimes don't, because they're just people doing a job, um, deserve, uh, you know, the murder hobo showing up. And then there's a fight with the uh, main, and you know, like the main evil of the location. And then Guts just kind of leaves the place in ruin because he can't be bothered to stick around. Yeah, like I said, he's a murder hobo. A murder hobo with standards, but still a murder hobo. Yeah, the, the, the town is annihilated, and Guts just kind of leaves to Puck's utter confusion. Mm -hmm. Aren't you going to do anything to help? Why would I? The ones who are still alive here can help themselves. I've got bigger fish to fry. There's a brief, like, single chapter story that... does a whole lot to humanize guts. This isn't one of the cases of, like, you know, Puck, Puck like, stating it outright. Like, just in, in dialogue on page. But this is, honestly, the uh, chapter where you can really see... Reinforces the idea that, like, Guts paid in advance for the, in advance for the damages because he's a good person. Because, like, he just meets some people on the road, and he knows there are demons nearby, not just because he can sense them, but also they're attracted to his brand. And mm -hmm. he kind of does a bit of a shitty thing of, like, at first he tells them, like, you don't want me around, just go, leave, please. Literally, just leave me. You don't understand. I'm being pursued by a legion of evil spirits. He doesn't outright say that. It's when they keep bugging him, like, no, you've got to come along and get in our caravan. I don't really like priest. That's dumb. There's demons out here. I know there's demons out here. <laughs> then get in my van. I'm, I don't want to get into a priest van. What's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> 
Insert joke. <laughs> look, you don't understand. I have a host of evil spirits after me. Oh, I've got God and a lucky spirit on my side. It's fine. As Puck pops out and like sticks his tongue out of guts. But yeah, no, he he ends up just caving and and going with them. There is this sense of um like like what I like about this decision is that strictly speaking, a storybook hero who's like perfectly selfless and like, you know, that romanticized version would probably have just walked away. And like not involved them, and this wouldn't have even been a chapter. Guts like rationalizes his way into Nah, what do I care if they die anyway? But like there I, is I warned them. Yeah. So anything that happens will be because of them, and I won't care. But mm. like there is also a a undercurrent of I feel like stating it almost emphasizes it too much because it is very subtle, but there is a bit of a protectiveness to that. Like he knows that it's not just the evil spirits pursuing him, that this is a dangerous area. So these people stand no chance if something wanders past them. And, you know, there is a bit of a sense of, well, if that happens, then at least I'll be here and they'll have a fight. Like, like he doesn't, he doesn't like even think this but like there is that sort of sense that like he kind of like grudgingly accepts that it's like okay i guess i'm just gonna fight whatever attacks them now that's how this is going it goes back into that idea of like he rationalizes his good deeds away as i'm really dooming them you know mm -hmm. and it's like to some extent he kind of is too you know like it it's it's not but as simple it's not as simple as one or the other. Well, that's that's berserk to a T. It's not that simple. Like mm -hmm. this thing is dripping with nuance. Mm -hmm. Because, hey, maybe if they hadn't crossed the Black Swordsman on that road, they would be just fine. Maybe there actually would have been a host of demons there and they would have died anyway. There's literally no way to tell. They, they do cross the, over a, an old uh, battlefield with a bunch of uh, possessed skeletons. Whether or not mm -hmm. those would have popped up out of the ground, uh, whether Guts was there or not, we don't know. We can't know. And again, exactly. there's that element of Guts couldn't have known either. One of the important parts is that two of the big, like, apostle demons that Guts fights in this were already there when he showed up, which is proof enough that this world is teeming with violent, malignant evil. So we see a whole lot of truly heinous stuff of violence inflicted upon the innocent and the unwedding in this. I dread to think what happens in the rest of the world away from Guts and his story. Where the murder hobo isn't around to at least somewhat even the playing field. Well, he does... The problem is he doesn't even the play in field because he's a magnet as well as like. Yeah, that's really true too. Exactly. One of the things that is uh, rather poignant about this scene is that Guts is talking with the old priest as they're riding along in the wagon. And the priest says that, uh, you know, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. My nephew was like that uh, five years ago. He lost his life on a battlefield, just a lowly soldier with no name. If he hadn't signed up with that army, he'd probably be living a fulfilling life with a family right now. Uh, it, the son, mm -hmm. as as he goes on to say, did what he wanted to do. It exactly. might have been fulfilling in your eyes, but who knows? The son always probably knew that was an option. He did, he did what he wanted. He might have died happy uh, being a soldier in that army. You don't know what he fought. <laughs> 
what he thought, what he felt. You don't get to decide his dreams for him. He died under his own decisions, which uh, and I arguably, that's what... I would kind of venture the fact that if he were in today's world where people are literally having their families ripped apart and having to suffer that loss, which is more painful, maybe. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, like, that that's a moral that I think Guts actually does live by. Like, that's not even, like, his self-hatred coming through. He genuinely believes people should stand up for themselves and do their own thing. Like, if you can't, if you can't stand up for yourself, someone helping you isn't going... He's very much like, you can teach a man to fish is way better than feeding him. Well... I think I think mm -hmm. that's actually the the key to Guts as a character because where Guts ultimately where Guts ultimately would go I, there there's one thing that I think that's really important to understand about like the tone of Berserk where Guts is going like the the place where his character could grow into something truly heroic like he obviously loathes wanting to be would be the the sense of give a man a fish he eats for a day teach a man to fish he'll eat for the rest of his life but the problem is that second part of the phrase is lost on guts right now and that's where a lot of his negative character traits come from he doesn't really internalize the fact that he can give people the capacity to self-improve to the point where they can actually defend themselves. Like, not even necessarily in the sense of, um, again, it's not so blunt as, like, he could teach people how to fight or something like that. But no, like, there's the sense that, um, you know, guts protecting people who can't fight so they can go and do what, you know, is, is their, you know, thing is at this point lost on him because he he is three feet under not neck deep but three feet under in a world of pure violence that's the mm -hmm. only thing that he can see you know a big part of his character development is going to have to be coming out of that place and seeing the world as you know because it's like you know we've mentioned the world of berserk is dripping in nuance he needs to see that nuance to understand mm -hmm. it to be a better person and again, okay. I don't know if that's going to happen because Berserk is the kind of series that might just never let him learn that lesson. Yeah, especially with uh, Mirasama's passing. It's uh, hard to say how this could have ended. Uh, I have heard a few uh, analyses that say there's a certain poeticness to the fact that Guts will always be in the process of learning. And never, and never complete the journey. Because in a sense no one ever completes the journey mm -hmm. and that's honestly something that uh people who have read way more of berserk have a better opinion on than i do so uh go watch super eye patch wolf or something <laughs> now we'll just keep make broad sweeping statements about like a 500 chapter thing after the eight we've read <laughs> <laughs> anyway we haven't really mentioned her much but the old priest does have a daughter colette who has uh, shown Guts some kindness and, you know, has the the sort of classic, you know, blushing farmer's daughter uh, thing of being attracted to big, strong hero man. It's, a, it's another case where they set up the, like, classic romanticized thing my, and it doesn't favorite, go there. My favorite thing is Guts's response is essentially, you are a child, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> mm -hmm. That too, that too. <laughs> I see so much depravity in the world and I am not going to be contributing to it. This girl is, this girl is a young 16 at best. Like, yeah. mm -hmm. and Guts is like, no kid, stay in your lane. I'm really only into succubi at the moment. Yeah. <laughs>
it's like you know even even with that uh appropriate arm's length guts does uh appreciate in his own way the kindness that she shows and this is uh illustrated quite brutally as uh the caravan is attacked by a horde of skeletons guts goes out to uh fight them explicitly saying stay in the carriage well stay in the carriage girl are we gonna skim over guts's nightmare oh, oh. uh you're, you're right we should not skim over that because guts does have a rather poignant nightmare uh, especially speaking to what we were uh, just discussing of can he get out of this life that he leads, his nightmare is him running down a narrow hallway as a voice tells him he can't escape until he is impaled on the foot in such a way that he literally cannot rip his foot out, out of that spike mm -hmm. as his being... demons catch up to him. And it, it's more important that he's being chased by a singular, like, demonic creature that he mm -hmm. hallucinated when he was in the um the prison cell earlier too uh there is definitely something in his backstory about this because he is there is a there is a specific phantom chasing him yeah and like guts's reaction to this thing is not the hatred or like the nonchalance he deals with a lot of things out he genuinely looks at this thing with fear which considering mm -hmm. it's shown to be very small compared to him means Berserk did something with this, and I'm excited. It's yeah. a little slug thing, like... It's very horrifying looking, like, a little slug thing is being a little diminutive to it, like, it is, it is monstrous, it's but... It's grotesque, yeah, but, yeah. like, when you compare it to, you know, the monsters that Guts fights... Yeah, Guts' reaction is interesting. It is, mm -hmm. it does not feel in line with how he reacts to other demons, so I'm kind of... Needless I'm real... to say, I am... Very intrigued. I, I, yeah, same. This is this is a mystery that has uh, hooked me. Uh, and to get back to the attack by the skeletons, uh, Guts is saying, uh, "Stay in the carriage. I'll take care of this." And you know, classic uh, set up the uh, action scene in a fantasy story moment. It was too late. Well, the horses are freaking out, so Colette, kind soul that she is, jumps out of the carriage to calm the horses and immediately is impaled on a spear and dies hideously. My favorite thing about this the paneling is when she gets impaled, it's the black silhouette you'd get from like, oh, they're trying to hide the violence from you. Turn the page. Nope, there is just her impaled on the spear in full view. Like, <laughs> they wanted to make sure you saw it. That that first shot was for uh, aesthetic and ambiance. This next shot is, yes, you are still reading Berserk. Yes, she was indeed mm -hmm. impaled. Let me show you how. Guts enters a rage. He has a look on his face for all his callousness. He appears to be genuinely, like, infuriated about what just happened. He told her to stay in the carriage. He's snarling and sneering as he... Uh, leaps into battle, cutting apart skeletons, throwing knives that shatter skulls. There are several absolutely beautiful pages of pitched and brutal battle, of him scattering bones to the wind. Yeah, so Sam, it's interesting. You you read that as he was like snarling with pure rage at this? Because mm -hmm. I kind of read it as like, he he was upset that Colette died, but like, I think I got, he was like, had like a kind of like evil smirk to it he's like this is something i can do 
Like, mm-hmm. I couldn't... I failed at that, but, like, killing monsters is what I... is my bread and butter. This is something I understand. And he kind of loses There's... himself in, like, that, like... In the violence. There's definitely that, too. I think, I think actually, sort of interesting, because my takeaway was kind of a synthesis of both. He has that moment of failure, and the rage at the failure, and that the monsters have killed somebody he was trying to protect. But then, and I, this is not something I could have put into words until Matt phrased it this way, but he rationalizes it. Yeah, well, I told her. She got out of the carriage. It's not my fault. So I'm just going to, and then I'm just going to do the thing I'm good at. This is a, a really good illustration of like, like this one chapter, because like all the rest of this was like part of a, a multi-chapter story. Um, it's also worth noting, these chapters are very, very long. Um, oh, yeah. Conveniently, they're 90%. Uh, there's a lot of fight sli- scene. Yeah. <laughs> slicing people in half is 90% of the pages. It's, it's it, I, I mean, like, in terms of total word count, it's probably on par with most everything else that we've done. But, um, like, there is the, um, uh, like, like, the thing about that is you get to see this chapter exists to say, this is how Guts operates as a person. You know, he, he tries to be the stoic badass, not a hero murder hobo ends up doing something empathetic but not really committing to it it goes wrong he is sad and angry about it and then rationalizes it away and starts you know committing to hyperviolence because it's the only thing he's been able to do successfully up to this point and then just walks away with the world in his wake being a being a bloody torn up mess and and pretending he's okay with that it is a microcosm of the other two much longer stories uh, you know, would be my guess of like this is the loop that Guts is trapped in. It's it's very much. It also gives you some detail, like seeing how quickly he goes to this. You can see this is a coping mechanism he's developed. He's he, yeah, he's been through this so many times. This is this is a terrible world, and in it, Guts has a like extremely terrible situation. So his coping mechanism is. Well, I guess every time I fail, that's just justification that this world is garbage. Weak people will die. It's not fair, but that's what the world is. So nothing I can do about it. So might as well kill some monsters. Yeah. The thing that kind of circles back to what I had said at the start of this with the rage at what happened to Colette is while Guts is in the midst of slaughtering monsters, the wicked force that was animating these skeletons also animates her. And we get a truly horrific scene. I love this scene so much. Yeah. It's really good. As Puck screams in fear, he's yelling how, shut up, can't you see I'm busy? He turns around and he sees the decapitated head of the old priest being held in Colette's hand. Her entire like front coated in blood and a brutal grin on her face because that's not her that's just some monster and guts stands there in stunned fury for like five pages until colette gets close enough to stab him and then he cuts her in half. Yeah, like, it, it takes so long. I can imagine, like, played out. What happened was she slowly picked up a sword and walked over. Because the way she stabs him is literally she holds it out at, like, straight ahead and walks into him. 
and like mm-hmm. it barely pierces his belt and draws like a faint drop of blood. And the second Guts is like actually has blood drawn, he instantly flips to, well, defending myself mode and wipes her out with a single sword swipe. Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he is shocked, have... not really sure how to deal with it up until his life is in danger. And then just the switch flips and instantly no mercy. Mm-hmm. Half the page is just a white void with Guts, his sword on the backswing and Colette's body bisected the top half flying away. It's it's a very poignant image for how much negative space it has. And that goes into a series of pages of Guts vomiting as he's still fighting before he finally succumbs to the rage. And in a brutal two-panel spread it's just him unmaking this skeleton army his entire head enwreathed in shadow yeah and because i feel like we're only gonna gush about berserk the remainder i will have my one complaint in the series i don't think that vomit uh-huh. looked very good <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the vomit and when gut spits later both of them i assume are supposed to be clear liquids they look very flat but that's literally my <laughs> only complaint <laughs> you need to do better vomit what's the critique <laughs> it just looks really flat and that's that's literally the only thing bad i can say about the art yeah that it that is that is usually a sign that when the best complaint that you can come up with when you're going for constructive criticism is this tiny little nitpick that's probably a good sign yep indeed but that is uh that entire chapter which who boy that's a that's a heady moment and uh gives us the mindset to uh head it, it it's kind of actually uh an hors d'oeuvre in a sense of the arc that we will go into for the rest of our reading uh the guardians of desire uh, basically uh this is what the plot is going to be the arc <laughs> mm-hmm. it's a slightly longer version of the first chapter i say slightly longer it's like five chapters so it's five times as long but <laughs> also essentially uh, just a more fleshed out story arc like it mm-hmm. it's basically the same plot just fleshed out more so it yeah it's the same plot and then at the end it's like um okay so you've gotten this far into the reading obviously i've not scared you away with the with the uh the sex and the violence so here is what guts is you know trudging toward is is uh the other thing that like that addendum is added mm-hmm. and meanwhile we get introduced to the main villain of this arc not the evil snake man but in actually the only other complaint i'll have about berserk they totally ripped off the uh main villain from vinland saga <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is just the the fat count from uh from that not so we have got any at home everyone we are aware it's probably the other way around (laughs) yes it is surely the other way around but we have the fat official which i will alternate between calling him that and the count the count is his actual like title because he doesn't have a name but uh the fat official because demon souls (laughs) (laughs) the opening scene of this uh arc is a uh, rather desiccated-looking old priest uh, reading out the verdict of heresy upon a girl screaming about her innocence, uh, screaming futilely as she is decapitated 
and we cut to the very corpulent uh, official, the count of this town, who says, I am doing this all for the good of my subjects. It is my sacred duty to rid this area of heresy. He's like equal parts Dracula and a commissar from 40k. <laughs> A lot of Baron Harkonnen in him. Mm. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I think is worth mentioning is that there's actually a lot of design similarities between the Lord Mayor from the first, uh, the the priest from this one, and this is where this is where uh, like the visual storytelling really like to me keyed me into. There's a difference between being helpless and being complicit. And the people who are complicit are going to get, I mean, like, basically everybody's going to get bad stuff, but you're not, you're not expected to feel the least bit of pity for the people who are also complicit in addition. Um, because in a lot of ways, it's the exact same character. And like that, I mean, that might sound, you know, at first blush, like a, a complaint or a criticism, but no, that character exists to set you in the specific mindset of paying attention to that difference. And, you know, it's like they're obviously different people, but their mm. their narrative but and visual similarities. There's a thousand guys like him in this world, a million even. Mm -hmm. And there are so many petty lords doing petty evil. Probably not all of them are under demonic overlords, but does that make them worse? or better it, trick question it makes them exactly as bad Yeah, it makes them yeah it makes them bad like the say what you will about these people being helpless against the grand demon but when you help make that grand demon stronger and make everybody else's lives worse not mm -hmm. really lining but, up for the pity party are you that's another thing too in this uh demons don't necessarily like force people to do evil they are very much, we will just offer you the means to inflict cruelty, and people jump at the chance to do that. Well, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it should be noted, some people jump at the chance to do that. And, like, there is there is a very strong sense that a lot of the demons, they very specifically set out to give people the opportunity to be cruel, to let excuses like, what else can I do, allow them to, you know, commit mm. commit cruelty that is not necessary. Yep. And one of the one of the things that I think is uh, particularly poignant about this section in particular is there are kind of too many bosses in this one. One of them is more important than the other. Uh, the other one is just kind of there to job. But this arc shows uh, the Guardians of Desire arc shows that Guts isn't the only one with, you know, absurd physical <laughs> strength absurd physical strength like guts ends up beating them because protagonist spoiler alert but there are people that are also at the uh top of the bell curve in terms of human fighting capability and guts again spoiler alert but guts wins this fight he defeats the demon so and he tore through this army yes but at the same time part of that was he was so terrifying he caused them to flee in fear if all of them had the spine, they could have defeated Guts. If all of them had the spine, they could have beaten the Count. Mm -hmm. But uh, they don't have the spine, <laughs> is the thing. As 
as demonstrated by Guts walking up to this execution scene, picking up the severed head of the victim, painting the brand on it, and yeeting it at the count in the biggest just flops of dick on table move. <laughs> Again, projecting strength. That's the other thing is that in a lot of ways, um, like a more like emotionally realized Guts might have done the same thing because... You know, that can be a point of hope that, like, someone's willing to resist this. But there's also the sense of, uh, you know, Guts pretending he doesn't care about the people around him. He immediately just decides to walk away. Maybe I might be reading a little bit too much into it. But, like, you know, the, the way that Guts has been presented up to this point, like, why doesn't he just go up and, you know, fight the demon right now? You know, like, there are a bunch of soldiers nearby, but that's not stopped him before. And, you know, they do later make a distinction that, like, he does know that, like, there's a limit to the number of people he can just carve through. But, um, you know, there's also the sense of, like, he walks away, and that pulls the fight away from a bunch of civilians. It's one of those ones where it's, like, it's so easy to miss that I don't think Guts even realizes he's doing it. But at the same time... I'm of two minds of that. I could easily see Guts purposefully going away from civilians or i could honestly just seeing he thinks it's easier to fight in a more open when space there, when there aren't people around yeah I, I, honestly it's it's probably the thing that he thought of and the subconscious reflex is mm -hmm. you know and again i i might be reading a little bit yeah. too much into that moment in particular but it, it it reinforces uh in my mind you know like all the way back at that you know paying for the damages in advance just because I think what we've seen of Guts as a character, I think even like the not lying to himself part, I think there's a part of him who think that people who stand around and gawk at a fight kind of deserve what they get. Yeah, yeah. I like, agree with that, too. I think the uh, story yeah. agrees with that as well. Like that, yeah. that again, is is a similar situation to the uh, the difference between being helpless and being complicit. If someone tells you to stand aside and you don't, if they're good, like, like they're going to do the job, <laughs> like they're going to run over you if they have to, you can just stand aside. It's a bit like the 7-Eleven owner from our last uh, reading of Demon Slayer. Yeah. <laughs> There's no one to blame but himself. Oh, there's a commotion going outside? Let me run into the middle of it. Oh, no, my arm. <laughs> hey, stop swinging your swords around. I've been cut by a sword. Well, Buzz you up. could barely call that a sword. It was a massive, humbling thing, like a chunk of iron. <laughs> <laughs> they, they do describe the dragon slayer in the exact same way at least twice i believe yep. it is a haiku it is structured like one but probably not yep and guts does put it to a similar effect as he carves through this army of mooks uh to their great and uh terrible horror until their captain lord zondark shows up who I can only assume is like eight feet tall, given that he towers over Guts, who towers over everyone else. Yeah, I'm pretty much. Right. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. Um, and they're like squishy little minions. There also ends up being uh, a lot of cases of, you know, like in this initial uh, confrontation, uh, you know, Zondark shows that he is incredibly powerful onto himself. And, uh, you know, like he makes the comment of, you know, it's like, you know, you're just swinging around a chunk of iron that doesn't, you know, that doesn't do you any good if you're not, you know, if you're not precise and quick enough with it. And then Guts is like, yeah, you're right. Your giant hammer is just a hunk of iron. And he clowns on him. I thought it was a situation where it was just he was talking too much. I mean, that, that too, honestly. <laughs> As Guts, you know, 
even despite his massive buster sword, outmaneuvers Zondark's Warhammer and uh, essentially shatters that weapon, bending it backwards and sending pieces of fragmented metal into the man's face uh, in order to defeat. But uh, despite that critical win, uh, there are still too many guys for Guts to win this, so he has to flee with a uh, random, uh, gross-looking vagabond in the yeah, sewers. Somebody, somebody throws a smoke bomb and then uh, pulls the uh, bars off of a sewer grate and, and says, hey, follow me. Over here, quickly, escape! And uh, so they do. And uh, this is actually roughly the halfway point of our reading, uh, bisected neatly with a giant sword. So uh, we will take a quick break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, folks. Where last we had left off our, um, well, I was going to say noble hero, but that's not exactly his thing. <laughs> our uh, primary perspective character, Guts, had just made a daring escape with the help of um, a, a gremlin man, a nasty little guy who uh, threw a smoke bomb in order to help him escape from the numerous hordes of guards. And uh, one defeated uh, Mandark, I mean Zondark. This uh, little gremlin person um, is uh, leading Guts through the back alleys of the city uh, towards a place that he refers to as a safe house. Uh, mm -hmm. It looks like an evil scientist lab because it low-key kind of is. <laughs> I mean, effectively, he was the, what, palace physician? Yeah. Very, very thin Every line there. When you're the palace physician for an evil overlord, you kind of, by extension, become an evil scientist. Yeah. That's a great line when he walks in. He's just like, uh, you know, they're hunting heretics out there. If they saw this, you'd have a lot to explain. <laughs> Guts gets especially, like, um, snarky in this. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. He's very snippy with this guy. Well, actually, there's I, I feel there's a very particular reason for that. And uh, I mean, the thing I was going to mention about this is like all of this entire sequence, you know, this little gremlin character, we learn his name is Vargas. This is absolutely my favorite part of our reading, because who Vargas is, you know, an exploration of why helpless is different from complicit. Strictly speaking, Vargas is in the same position that all of the other people in semi-power that we've seen up to this point are in. And um, he leaves. You know, mm -hmm. you can do that, right? And, you know, like, they're just walk out. He tries to escape with his family, gets caught. His family is killed. He stays after that. Like, he escapes again successfully this time and sticks around for revenge. He, but he's... He's hideously deformed and tortured. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like, part of the reason he's so small is because he no longer has legs. Uh, one of the things about Vargas that's really important is... Like all of all of Guts' comments about how like weak people deserve to die, and and you know it's like for for a lot of the characters 
that have shown up up to this point, you know, like, like Puck is really the only major exception to that. Um, you know, it's like the, the, the priest and his daughter, you know, they, they didn't like get anything they deserved or anything, but you know, they were introduced a lot more quickly. Like we spent some time with like the Lord mayor, uh, we spent, you know, we have the um, establishment of the priest guy in this town. We have Vandark over there, uh, you know, captain of the guard. Um, but, like, here's a character who is very physically weak, but, like, he's actually doing something about it. And it goes against the way Guts has forced himself to see the world. Mm -hmm. And in a way... More than just a circumstantial similarity, Vargas is a very physical mirror of Guts as well. Because when I say that he was horribly deformed and murdered, I mean horribly. Like, we already mentioned the lack of legs thing, but half his face was torn off. Mm -hmm. Not torn, and sliced was... and eaten. Yeah, the, the, mm -hmm. the Count ate him while he was alive, piece by piece. In front of him. As punishment for running away, like... But this has the rather poignant effect of he is missing one eye. And so when he is cast in shadow and just his one remaining eye is there, it has a shocking similarity to the same silhouette that Guts has. Except instead of being tall and imposing and powerful, he is small and weak and seemingly impotent. In a way, they're the exact same. They're equally impotent. It's just the magnitudes of difference like one of the big defense mechanisms that guts has been using to pretend he's okay with his situation is the idea that if you're weak you can't do what you want vargas is mm -hmm. weak but he doesn't care he's doing what he wants anyway and it it shines a light you know and it, it, it's something that guts is not currently able to or willing to process but it shines a light on the truth that Guts is weak too. He's just pretending otherwise. He isn't as strong as the demons. He is he is acting in spite of his weakness, not because of his strength. And Vargas is a living representation of the hypocrisy of a lot of his prior cruel lines. And his comments towards, you know, the weak air quotes feel the most hollow in this scene because in a lot of ways when guts meets vargas with uh you know derision and disrespect vargas basically does what guts does when people do that to him he doesn't care as long as what he wants gets done mock me and belittle me all you want i don't care i just want the bastard who did this dead i don't mm -hmm. care how it happens and i don't care what happens to me yep and you know as uh, knowing more of what happens in the story, it, while not knowing the specifics, I will say it's not at all dissimilar to what happened to Guts when boiled down. Oh, too soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, if we ever do a part two of this, we will get to it. Though I think the Golden Age might be too long for a single episode. Um. One of the uh, big uh, moments that ends the chapter is uh, Vargas is like, I've got uh, so many things here in my little den of vengeance, including this that I've hidden in a secret wall. It's a weird egg thing with a mixed up facial expression that Guts is absolutely enraged to see. The behelet. Gesundheit. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> 
it is a uh, behelet. It is a little egg thing. To Vargas' surprise, Guts actually knows what it is. All Vargas knows is that it is a thing that the Count got before he became a demon man and that he wants back. Guts immediately picks up Vargas by the neck and says, you're going to tell me where you got this thing and who the hell you are. I swear I just stole it from the Count on my escape. And this actually also facilitates a really cool moment for later. Uh, like I said, I love this entire, you know, saying scene is it, it's it's more than one scene, but like this whole sequence uh, in Vargas's home, um, because one of the things that like once this is brought out and, you know, Guts establishes that it is the thing that calls the God hand and summons demons. One of the things that it's it's a passing line that is said in the moment those ones where it's like how much stock you want to take in Vargas's perspective on the situation like everything everything about his visual design says that he's you know a villain dealing with another villain everything about his character says that he is you know tragic and you know to be admired for the the strength that he shows in spite of his physical condition and then he makes the comment of the Count had, had always been cruel, but at least back then he was human, then he got this. That's going to be important for a moment that comes up later, because it sets up sort of the twist of, of the Count's story. We Once we get further into the, the truth behind the, the situation that brought everybody to this place, that little offhand line is going to synthesize with other elements of the story in a really interesting way. Yes, as Vargas tells his story about, uh, again, as Drake said, the line of the Count was cruel, but he was not like this. Uh, he got the behelet. You know, Vargas couldn't stand the Count's cruelty anymore, so he took his family and fled. Alas, they were captured. Alas, he was tortured. And his family, his wife and sons, were eaten by that thing. Even now, the image is seared into his memory. And so he played dead hid amongst a pile of corpses again like guts stole the behelet and fled and now he's done nothing but live for revenge these past seven years and guts being a bit more aware of what this thing is he says that it summons the five members of the god hand dun 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 the name of my cover band <laughs> the god hand and uh, parallel to this scene happening, there is a scene where uh, <laughs> Zondark is uh, still alive, uh, horribly maimed, and very angry about it as he's lashing out and murdering people. Again, lots of uh, character parallels. And the Count uh, decides to feed his rage by feeding him a his demon. His demon. <laughs> this is um. I'm sure this is a hundred percent on purpose. There's a lot of sexual energy in this interaction. I mean, it's like there's a lot of like occult fantasy stuff going on here. So, right in line. But there's also there's also the thing of the count grabbing Zondark by the sides of his head. I'll grant you anything you wish, as their nose to nose, and then a thing comes out of his mouth and forces its way into Zondark's mouth and just... Hey, it was consensual. Uh, take it inside of you. And just... <laughs> One of the actually interesting things I've noticed is that um, whenever the apostles, the, the big demons, are, like, shaded 
in a way to show inhumanity that happens a lot in this kind of resemble the Behelet. And that's even more true with the Count because, well, he's he kind of he, he kind of built like Dr. Eggman. <laughs> so when he is wiped away to nothing but his eyes, he's just a vaguely uh, oval shadow. And then it's just an oval shadow with some facial features, much like the Behelet. Again, uh, wheels within wheels, everything coming back to the roots. Mm -hmm. And uh, as our protagonists continue their uh, discussion in the basement laboratory, uh, <laughs> Puck unsettlingly learns that the Behelet is alive, in a way. And, and watching them. Which Guts mm -hmm. knew, and was just letting yeah. Puck play with it. I think the implication is it bit him? Because he suddenly jumps away from it. Well, it's like it it has its eyes closed, and then he looks over to see one of the eyes open and staring at him, yeah, and he freaks because, out. Like, Guts like mentions, no, it's not a statue, it's alive. And he's like, ew, I touched something that was alive. Why didn't you warn me? Well, I mean, it's actually no danger in its current state, and it's kind of just a tool anyway. Also, Puck, I, I think you grossly misunderstand our relationship. I don't care about you. Yes, I don't even, several times. I don't even like you. Puck, I've tried I, to get you to leave multiple times and you won't listen. Fuck, I have a lot of self-hatred hero complexes. I just want to let you know that doesn't extend to you. I just find you personally annoying. Uh. <laughs> that's not even really sarca sarcastic either. That's that's pretty much their relationship. Yeah. We also get, um, I, it's at this point where um, we get Guts basically at his most, like, petty and defensive. Because, like, this this is the part of the conversation where it's really made clear how, how dedicated Vargas is and how much work he's put in to see this through. And Guts can't really handle the fact that someone so physically weak is seemingly more... You get the sort of impression that he feels like he's inadequately dedicated because if he, you know, had the strength to keep going in that condition, he'd have already done the job by that point, which isn't true, but it's sort of obvious that's what Guts is feeling. And then uh, he gets a bit of a convenient out for the rest of that conversation. <laughs> yes, as the... Uh, demonically empowered Zondark smashes through the wall like a Kool-Aid man and uh, begins a terrible boss battle. Uh, I say terrible not because it's bad, but terrible because it is uh, quite violent. Guts cuts off his arm and then, uh, ha, psych, you thought cutting off my arm would do something. I now have a squiggly tentacle hand and will swing faster than the human eye. Get I mean, some people would pay for that. <laughs> I was going to say, as if this series wasn't depraved enough already as it is. Oh, no, there's um, plenty of tentacles in this. Look, I just want to know if that arm will be my boyfriend. <laughs> uh, the classic shonen moment of, but Guts' his movements, he can actually see that the tentacle arm moving faster than the human eye. He's blocking every hit. What does that sound familiar? Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those ones where it's like all roads lead back to berserk like obviously this isn't the progenitor of that because uh i believe dragon ball's a little bit older than berserk berserk is 90s yeah. isn't it yeah okay yeah so yeah that um not, not that moving faster than the human eye is a dragon ball thing either no it's not a dragon ball thing either but like the the framing of it is very similar to that but like also mm -hmm. you know 
this is also around the time when Dragon Ball did that sort of thing in its own narrative. So it's like it it you know, like you can see the connective tissue of the time period. I thought he was just swinging around that massive hunk of iron and relying on his uh, his equipment to carry him through. But no, he's a master swordsman. Sam, why phrasing? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> Do you not like the idea of Guts swinging around his massive hunk of iron, Jay? Look, they both have massive equipment that they're both swinging around at each other. I don't understand what your holdup is. <laughs> uh-huh. It's all too large and thick and heavy and rough, but, you know. Two big boys are playing a little rough with their large toys. I don't know what you could possibly misconstrue from this. <laughs> I am so I glad I'm a hermit. And, that, and as the room is Oh, collapsed, you can't escape this, Jacob. It's in written format. Little did you know, out being a mountain man, there are nothing but burly lumberjacks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but uh, we do have a rather touching scene as uh, Vargas absorbs some of the collapsing ceiling to protect Puck. Our heroes effect their escape as a uh, reminder that this isn't an underground chamber as they're flailing around their massive equipment. Uh <laughs> The, the ceiling seal- collapses on on, on, Zondark. Mondark, on on Zondark. I'm sorry, we've called him Mandark enough times. I've forgotten his name. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> There's another element of Vargas blocking the falling debris from uh, crushing Puck. Uh, is another case where, like, I really love this moment because it actually, you know, because, like, at this point, they're basically framing him as an unreproachably good hero. And it's like, didn't he do some awful things? things when he was still working with the count but like it's 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 framing him really positively at this point um but uh later we'll see that you know even this character the layers to him it's far more intricate than that indeed indeed which makes his ultimate fate uh, again a great parallel to guts but all the sadder for that but uh they affect their escape and they uh, escape through the sewers. Zondark is still alive despite getting his head cleaved in half because of the daemon, but they think they've made, a- made it away because of the collapsing uh, building. Uh, Guts just takes the behelet and leaves while Puck gives some fond farewells to Vargas. And it's at this point where I'm like, God damn it, Miura. <laughs> You're giving me sympathy for this character. He's He's smiling with contentment. <laughs> After uh, experiencing a life lesson, he's about to die horribly. And there we go. There's the tentacle skimming out of the uh, sewer to drag him away to his awful demise. Yeah, this this shouldn't have been a surprise to anybody because this is the equivalent of you saw someone get mugged. um, You take them around the street corner and leave them there going like, okay, cool. Have fun. (laughs) (laughs) As uh, uh, Guts and Puck leave and Vargas is taken by Zondark. Uh to be then uh summarily executed well not summarily (laughs) they hold him until the next morning (laughs) they do hold him until the next morning the count pretends that it's uh rather summary because he's like i could have kept you for like days torturing you even more but i want to catch uh the black swordsman so i'm setting this trap you should be thankful really this is the uh moment i was alluding to earlier with um how they had been framing vargas because um all the way to his final moments, all he can talk about is how much he uh, he wants revenge. He wants to see the Count's blood spilled. He wants violence done upon that person. And like, mm-hmm. 
that's not the same, like, that's not the same unambiguous good guy vibes he had been giving off. But the thing is, that's kind of what the world needs at that moment. Like, the idea that there's, like, unambiguous good or bad well, mm -hmm. is just... You know, like, it, it's it's way more nuanced than that. I think another big thing we get is um, just in what we've read so far, but like when two cities have the exact same problem where demons have corrupted the power structure from top down, like when there is no authority, there is no justice, there is only vengeance. Because mm -hmm. like you own the only thing these people have is getting revenge for themselves because there is no authority to enact justice. Like that, oh. that is a dead concept to them when the person who's supposed to be enacting law and order is eating people like that's out the window. Yep. Oh, and one of my favorite pages happens when Guts is doing, you know, the maintenance on his arm and uh, gearing up for the fight, ignoring Puck. There's a page where Guts is remembering seeing Vargas's uh, peg legs, uh, having him talk about how he had his body chopped up and eaten. Uh, and guts is like touching his uh permanently closed eye and then flashes back to before my eyes he took my wife and my sons i was nothing more than a prisoner of fear as guts touches the brand please avenge me and guts punches a hole in the wall because he doesn't have anything else to get that obvious parallel out of his head it's off vengeance Mm -hmm. there's the parallel too is that they're in a way they're both powerless mm -hmm. like because guts is constantly like i'm the biggest badass around he's constant even in what we read he's constantly put in his place yep mm -hmm. i think he ever has like a big persona about him he sees himself purely as a tool or a means to an end he's not like somebody who's like i'm the biggest and baddest person in this entire town kind of thing I, th I think he gets that when he compares himself to the average person there is a level of arrogance there because not that it's unearned like by no means but do you think that's from capability or just their plight what i mean by that is like he doesn't get off like i don't get up i'm physically strong you're physically weak type of thing he also focuses more on psychologically their approach to things well no, that's actually well yeah. that's actually that's actually the thing for me is that he always like he he doesn't ever engrandize himself he always puts other people down in, in his worst moments in specific mm -hmm. because he doesn't think he's strong. He's performing strength as a coping mechanism. So, like, there is an arrogance to him where, like, like the way he is framed and the way, like, like his body language and facial features are, he is looking down on people who are physically weaker than him, but he never uses that to verbally build himself up because deep down, he knows that's not true, you know? So, it, you know, he doesn't, you know build himself up but mm -hmm. he does look he, down he, on others at the same time he tears down to make himself feel stronger it's unhealthy <laughs> yeah, it's it's a yeah, coping it, mechanism that has got him this far so he sees no reason to change it even though it is a path of self-destruction mm -hmm. again as as matt said earlier uh 
if Guts has a middle name, it's Projection, because when he's watching uh, Vargas's execution, he says the reward for ambition too great is self-destruction, as Puck is doubling over from the agony of Guts's various negative emotions emanating off of him. This is also the most overt he kind of is this is also the most overt it gets with uh the uh explaining the metaphor to the audience in case you missed it but yeah i mean like there there's also the factor of um in a more romanticized story that would give guts the motivation to rush in and save the day but uh he recognizes yeah this is a trap and if i do that i'm just going to die pointlessly and vargas is beheaded in front of everybody and nobody lifts a finger about it Hey, hey, hey. Puck well, tries his damnedest. Don't Puck, diminish Puck's efforts. Yeah, actually, yeah. that is a good point, because, uh, you know, like, this is actually a really good moment. And and again, it emphasizes the idea that helplessness and com- complacency are not the same thing. Because, like, it's hard to say, like, what the right decision in a moment like that is. And Puck gets captured and doesn't really accomplish anything of meaning in in doing well, that. Well, he he does accomplish one small thing though. Is Vargas is like kind of committed himself to being executed at that point. Like he's in the stocks. He's like we're like Puck coming to saves him, jogs him out. That you get Vargas's final little speech, which is curse like laying a curse upon the count. That. Mm-hmm you're like you have sought violence you have sought wickedness the spirits of all you've slain will come up and take you the black swordsman will be your demise like mm. mm-hmm. hold up the devil's severed head before us once and for all as the headsman's axe comes down yeah and and again it's it's the sense of like you're helpless but you know you do something anyway you mm-hmm. fight back in whatever way that you can and hope that the person who takes up the mantle next can do a little bit more than you. And Guts, his expression is honestly pained as the weight of that wish settles on him. And as if uh, his expression wasn't enough, he sees the weird little gremlin demon thing again with Vargas's head. Sure, that's fine. And it's definitely not he, fine. He is unable to speak. He just like utters cries of like, uh, what, uh. Like, he is terrified mm-hmm. of this thing. It's here where we get a uh, a new character. Well, we have one more scene um, before a new character is introduced. And it shows another interesting uh, emotional moment from Guts. As uh, later that night, the servants of the count have gone to dispose of Vargas's body in the massive grave in the huge mass grave. One of the guys complains about the fact that they're going to need to dig another deep hole again, which mm-hmm. dark. Yep. Uh, so Guts adds them to the grave and picks up Vargas's head and, you know, uh, Hamlet's at it for a little bit. I love the promise he makes to it is not I'm going to avenge you. It's I won't fail like you. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's not even a promise to him. It's a promise to himself. Guts has Guts has in, internal demons he's got to face, probably literally as well, uh, before <laughs> he can deal with being nice to other people. Yeah, and there there is also the sense of a promise to a dead person doesn't mean a whole lot. It kind of like like even if it were phrased more nicely, it would really be a promise to yourself at that point. Like you know the uh, one thing that uh, Berserk absolutely doesn't uh, you know like we've mentioned how it doesn't like romanticize anything. It really doesn't romanticize death. 
you know, like, if someone's dead, they're gone. It, their story is over. We, we even get a peek into the afterlife. It's not great. Um, no. Mm-hmm. But um, my, my favorite scene in our reading is like immediately following this. Um, after he makes that promise, because he's in like this mass grave, like the spirits of these people start like coming out and like he starts hearing echoing in his head, like, I want vengeance. I want the count dead. And they all start rapping onto him. And like it looks for a second, he's absorbing them. And like he gets mm-hmm. this like demonic face of just like pure rage and power. And then panel cut no as he's like ejecting them from his body and like oh it looks so cool Mm -hmm. yep never never you and i have nothing in common you're all dead you're nothing but worthless scum this is my fight i am a person of flesh and blood and i will do this myself with my flesh and blood Mm mm-hmm which I mean, like that's just another example of, uh, you know, it's like there, there's a heroic aspect to that, but because of the bad coping mechanisms Guts uses, it ends up sort of doubling backwards into being its own kind of toxic, and that's just who Guts is at a fundamental level. He wants to be better. The world isn't letting him, and I don't know if he can turn it around. You know, as an audience member, I want to see him do better, but I don't know if he's capable of it. We'd have to read more to find out. <laughs> we don't read but... series past the first time anymore. <laughs> we finished Chainsaw Man and that was it. That was all we did. Yeah, we read the one good manga there is. Now we're just going <laughs> through all that's left. <laughs> Uh, poor Puck has been captured and is quite distraught about Vargas's death. And as he is imagining being turned into a cake, he is instead delivered to a young girl. The daughter of the Count, one Teresa, who is locked in a room, a bird in a cage. Being given someone who is locked in a bird cage, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. a very, very, very loud metaphor. <laughs> So loud, <laughs> she announces the metaphor to Puck. Yep, the heavy hand is symbolism. I know what it's like to be locked in a cage. And I'm like, okay, cool. Puck's in a scene, so metaphors just have to be told to you, I see. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> the Count says, don't worry, my dear. Just be a little more patient. I couldn't let you out into an impure world overrun with filthy heretics. So I will cleanse this place, and then you can leave. And he goes to just, like... I presume to just like brush her shoulder, but she recoils in abject terror, which in all honesty is an appropriate response. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the Count looks honestly pained by this. It's the most human he looks. And he leaves. That's all the interaction that they have. He uh, dismisses his guards in a uh, angsty rage. (laughs) He almost seems like he's uh, getting some human emotions back as he's contemplating his daughter's plight. And then he senses the approach of the black swordsman, shatters a parapet with his fist, and immediately enters full demon mode. Uh, we get we get the setup for that fight, but before we go to it, um, we get a quiet scene with uh, Teresa and Puck, and this is the other the other half of um setting up 
to say it's the 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 twist of the count story i think is maybe putting a little bit too much emphasis on it but like framing it in in a really interesting way because um at this point now we've seen the count in these very overtly human moments it honestly kind of seems like he's regretting doing this so mm-hmm. there's that kernel of sympathy that like is he just someone who's been possessed and then um uh uh Teresa explains to Puck that you know my father had you know always been you know very protective of his family and he would uh you know uh ride out into the countryside and you know hunt down you know heretics and pagans who threatened the peace and security of his city and uh and then uh she mentions that one day uh a group of her uh, a group of heretics had uh kidnapped uh her mother uh the count's wife and uh demanded that they be allowed to uh practice their beliefs or they would uh uh ritually sacrifice kill her and the count guess what happened and uh according to the story the count did not relent and uh her mother was killed and like mm-hmm. now at this point it's almost like it's like, how can you have sympathy after what the Count has allowed to happen? But, like, it's it's framing it in a very particular way to be like, this is a person who was pushed into being this way. But that's pretty noticeably at odds with the first way he was described. Mm-hmm. The first way he's described, he was always an asshole. But now he's an actual literal demon, whereas here's this new uh, version of the story, which doesn't contradict the first one, by the by, where it's like, you know, he had, you know, reasons for doing all he did. And, you know, from my perspective, he was really nice. And we'll see later that, like in many cases with Berserk, the truth is way closer to the middle and a lot more nuanced than either of those two biased perspectives would imply. You know, as this uh, tender and nuanced scene is happening, uh, Guts is fighting Zondark again, again. Except for some reason, there was a guest illustrator of Jinji Ito. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap, he is twisted. Dude has like three heads at the moment. Uh, <laughs> tentacles. I'm, lots of tentacles. You're right, Jay. <laughs> Many tentacles, at least a half a dozen mouths. Uh, My favorite part is that Guts looks like he's defeated, as per usual. And Zondark is like, no matter how much you hack up this possessed body, unless you cut off my head, I'll just keep regenerating. Oh, thank you for giving me the secret code. I don't know why you said that. (laughs) I love that moment. Sue the head. Thanks for the tip. Favorite part about that was just like, haha, it was a trick. And then Guts doesn't care yeah. that it's a trick. It's great. It was a trick. Now I'll feed off your body. As he's splattered into a wall on the flat of the sword. It, uh, it wasn't a very good trick because you're still at the end of a six foot long sword while being a very tiny crab thing at this point. Like, for too long. End up getting like 1v1. Look, Z- Zondark mm-hmm. is no boy genius. <laughs> Stop talking. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Man, if the abridged uh, series didn't alienate us, I'm sure all the Dexter's Lab references are real topical. (laughs) (laughs) Dexter's Lab is a masterpiece, and I will not be taking questions at this time. 
but uh, Guts continues to plow his way through the enemy guards. Uh, there's another moment with the priest. I think his name is Dahl. Yeah, he gets smacked in the mouth. He gets smacked in the how in the mouth real hard. <laughs> oh, like he's he's standing there with like twenty men, and Guts says, "You're in my way." move my my favorite part is during this whole fight where he's just like you can't fight all my archers or whatever and guts just clearing through this entire army he's just like oh oh no oh no quick we need zondark's brother jericho (laughs) 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 and i'm like you always talk you always talked about who you were stronger than zondark right go prove it you you know he just killed super demon zondark out there Guts cuts through this man and a fucking concrete pillar in the same swing. Cuts through, cuts through a eight plus foot tall man and his shield and his armor and a pillar behind him. Look, okay, I'm just gonna say at this point, everyone's armor has to be made out of tin foil because holy crap, does it do nothing? Um- <laughs> <laughs> but uh, guts handily wins this fight, uh, punches Doll's face and the door behind him in. <laughs> in order to uh get into the boss fight with the count walking through the fog gate meanwhile puck and teresa have basically the scene from peter pan it's like hey do fairies know how to fly it sure would be nice to just fly away from here puck does not pick up on what she's saying and i think that's hilarious until like <laughs> he leaves and then comes back it's like oh you you meant you wanted to fly away no i can't do that but i'll be back to see you sometime and i'm like okay puck cool uh, Hey, hey, he's never thought about it from another perspective. He's like, I don't know. I just always do this, you know? There's a bit bit of an amusing through line where Puck both explains metaphors that happen in his presence and also does not get metaphors himself. Uh, He can fit in the palm of your hand. There's not a lot of room for brain cells in there. Hey, hey. Yeah, it's like if you're talking to a girl at a party and she keeps mentioning how much she likes movies and how much she wishes she could go to the movies with someone, and you just go, yeah, no, I really like going to movies by myself. Later. Uh, and they're like, hold on. You didn't pick up on that. <laughs> Teresa's reaction to Puck finally getting the metaphor and coming back and, oh, but I'll see you again later. That was that was pretty uh, cute and heartwarming in this, you know, pile of blood and misery. <laughs> the bar is low. <laughs> the bar is indeed rather low. Meanwhile, but, Guts has kicked himself into a throne room that looks like it was explicitly designed to be a boss fight. Um, yes. <laughs> he entered and there was boss music in, in the background. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. you want to you want to talk about Dark Souls gating influence from this series. I, I recognize I've only played one of the Souls games and I recognize that boss arena. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, like I like I said, he walks through the fog door. <laughs> into this boss fight, strolling in like an absolute badass. It's just the Count sitting there on his throne monologuing. Then he transforms into Big Slug Thing in a... He transforms penis first, I'm just gonna say that. (laughs) I was gonna gonna be a bit more subtle about it, but you know what? You are right. He transforms Dick first. Subtle and uh, Berserk don't really go together. Actually, (laughs) they do. Well, okay, no, no. Subtle, visually subtle. And Berserk don't go together. 
subtext is everywhere in Berserk. I think that that's an important distinction to remember because this is an incredibly nuanced series. But when it comes to the visual presentation of the things happening on page, it is very grotesque. It is also nuanced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But uh, I love how it then cuts to Puck flying around. Like, now how am I actually going to find guts in the count's quarters and then a wall explodes, a wall explodes. well that's convenient <laughs> i love how puck goes like super easy to draw sketch mode too as he's like Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> again miura allowed himself exactly one thing in this setting that wasn't hyper detailed and it's puck but the uh the count transforms into a massive slug demon thing it god he's he's freaking ugly Everyone is freaking out except Guts, who is now in the midst of battle, but is being uh, battered around because, again, this thing just keeps regenerating. Each time you cut them off, my body becomes stronger. It gets bigger and bigger. A mere sword cannot destroy me. He's quickly becoming and... too big for the throne room is the problem. And mm -hmm. the castle is beginning to crack around him. And we then cut to Teresa's bedroom where the... Like, entire thing shifts as if an earthquake has happened, and the very foundation has cracked in such a way that the door is now, like, shunted open. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's the cage door open for her, and she goes and flees. Well, there, there uh, is also a, a really good, really human moment of the cage door opens, and then she stares at it for a while because it's terrifying on the other side. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I I, I liked yeah. that little moment of... She uh, has to weigh all the stories she's heard. So she's like, am I safer in here or should I... No, nah, mm -hmm. I'm going to leave. Well, objectively, she's not safe anywhere at this point. Yeah, but, well, yeah that, that, that does factor into her thinking. But, like, there is the element of... Um, that's a very human reaction of... Uh, yeah, the cage door is open. The lions are right out there. <laughs> like... <laughs> The whole rest of the world is out there. Oh, the whole rest of the world is out there. Yeah. I mean, if you believe you're surrounded by a bunch of heathenous heretics all the time, I mean, you could be crushed to death or whatever leads outside. Mm-hmm. And uh, the battle is continuing as she is making her escape. Guts is trying to just find anything resembling an opening. So he's like, hmm, what do I have to work with? A whole bunch of columns and, ah, excellent, a victim as he grabs Doll. He grabs Doll, and we don't see this, but he puts his cape on him because Guts has a very distinctive black cape. The Count, in his demon form, notices the cape and attacks the pillar, just smashing right through it, which flattens Doll like so much ketchup filled water balloons <laughs> giving guts an opportunity to leap out and cleave an attack for his head but it's barely a surface wound not not the decapitating lethal blow it needed to be and so guts has left himself open to a full-on attack and again much like dark souls you land the hit it was a risky hit and now you get hit with the force of a thousand suns as guts gets thrown into three separate pillars <laughs> <laughs> he is ragdolled about this room for a bit. He only broke yep. a few bones. It's okay. Yeah, that, that that's two Estus flasks at least. <sighs> somehow he keeps all his teeth. That's the thing. That's the <laughs> thing that somehow stood out to me. I forgot. There's my other problem with <laughs> when we get to it about the teeth. 
Hey, they didn't have all the sugar that we have in our diets, so they had nice, strong teeth. I have problems <laughs> with that, but... <laughs> well, th this does facilitate another one of my favorite panels, which is Guts staggering up from the devastating blows he's taken, and he's got the first, like, hopeless look we've seen on his face. His unshakable confidence is shaken, and it's the booming voice of the Count saying, Divine providence cannot be thwarted by man's efforts. And, hey, talk about them themes of helplessness. <laughs> mm. Though there is also another sentiment that the Count imparts on Guts that I think is really important, uh, because... You know, it's like there's that there's that uh, sense of helplessness that the series purveys, but there's also the idea of acting in spite of helplessness. And the Count actually points out to Guts, you know, you could just stay down, right? Like, you don't have no. to keep getting up. You can just accept death and be done with it. And the thing is, and, and you know, it's like th this scene primes for, you know, what comes next. In a lot of ways, that's kind of the place that the count came from. The sense of, you know, when you're presented with the idea of being helpless, you still have a choice to make. The count is presenting it as, as like, just give up. It's already over. The time has passed. So, you know, accept what it is and move and, and you know, move on to death. This is the end. And Guts keeps getting up anyway. And like, even though he has a hopeless look in his face that he acknowledges that this is not a fight he can win, he gets up anyway. He's helpless, but he keeps trying. And it is Guts's most definitive, uh, definitive case of um, showing off the real strength he overtly lacked when he was, you know, like constantly bad-mouthing and disrespecting others. I like how you stopped yourself from saying virtue there, because I think that's also kind of important, because the manga's never really clear about whether or not it definitively thinks it's a good thing, mm. but it's definitely what Guts wants to do. Like, yep. The manga has a, I don't want to say a bleak view on virtue, but uh, a, a rather kind of cold view on it, because we do have a moment of virtue later in this uh, like towards the end of our reading we also see that it does very little to redeem the soul of the person who committed the act <laughs> like it's the thing of like earlier on when guts is watching the execution he's just like it's all well and good to like be a big damn hero but if that gets you killed then you didn't what, accomplish anything what was the point like yeah mm -hmm. and, and you know and i mean like that's sort of the thing where it's like I do feel like, like, you know, like, not to say that, like, Berserk is, like, secretly optimistic or anything that's going way too far in the other direction, but, like, there, I do think that Berserk does aspire to high ideals, like, like, you know, like, doing, you know, like, doing good in spite of helplessness is the thing it's trying to encourage, um, but at the same time, it also, just like it, it sets up this, like, you know, shining, you know, like, like, the shining moment of, uh, Vargas protecting Puck, and then he goes right around to, like, screaming for blood and revenge. But, like, what is justice at that point? Like, it's not it's not as simple as, you know, like, it, it takes the romanticism away from ideas like even virtue. You know, it's, it is contextual, subtle, and nuanced. And you're just going to have to deal with that because real life is going to throw some really bad stuff at you. And 
what can you do but get up again even if you know you'll fail we kind of have a a moment of that being described by of all characters puck <laughs> instead of having the metaphor explained he decides to just say it where uh over Guts's seemingly dead body, he uh, decries the Count as, uh, despite all his uh, massive demonic strength, uh, he at one point was a fragile human, and uh, even without knowing all the context, it's rather obvious he's just trying to cover up a sore spot. How very human of him. Mm -hmm. And uh, speaking of which, uh, mm -hmm. Teresa enters just, the room. Indeed, right as the bell, it falls out of Gus's pouch onto Puck's head. It's all coming together. I love I'm how just Puck saying, it does not sound like these women in this, in this story are that bright. They seem to walk right into the loud scariness. Well, I don't think a lot of people are very bright. It's not just the women. <laughs> I'm just saying, there's very obviously fighting and rumbling going on. Do not walk towards it. You know, I'm I'm gonna say the girl who has been raised in her bedroom since she was very young. She calls herself a baby, but I don't think that's true. Yeah, uh, she was definitely at least like maybe a, a little older than a toddler. But she I mean, is she not, was not eight. A baby. She is yeah. not eight like she is claiming. <laughs> yeah. I was confused by that because I'm like in that portrait, she's at least like five or six. I, I she's she's probably like twelve at the most, but regardless um puck has a few pages where he's flying the behelet away uh and then gets swatted out of the air and i thought it was real funny <laughs> well i mean you gotta remember how large is he like, he, really? he had no chance of outrunning this thing this thing is like several hundred times larger than him maybe even <laughs> thousands at this point because he is the size of the throne room hey he's trying guys he's trying that's, yep. that's, that can go on Puck's tombstone. He tried real hard. <laughs> he did. He certainly did. Hey, he died doing the right thing, I guess. But yeah, in the I... end, it didn't really matter. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, like there, there is that sense of, um, like that. Uh, there is that sense of, um, you know, you can put it on your tombstone. You tried really hard. Is almost a like microcosm of. All of basic, basically all of the uh, characters you're supposed to like in Berserk, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll put it on your tombstone. You tried really hard is, is the most, it, it is the most unambiguously positive character trait that, that any of the characters have. Mm -hmm. They tried but, really hard to be contrarian or do the right thing as opposed to people who chose to what do what was convenient. Man, I, mm -hmm. I want to find the person in the grimdark fantasy world who's only a good person because they're super contrarian. <laughs> oh, I guess we're all just murdering people today. Well, I guess I'm going to make a soup kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm adding that if I ever write a grimdark scene. <laughs> His name was Joe the Philanthropist, and he was hated by all <laughs> for being kind of a dick. <laughs> Teresa does run into the scene and uh, spies the giant monster and does what anyone would do in the uh, presence of a giant monster and screams and tries to run away as said giant monster being her father is like oh no my dear she daughter. saw me Run. no she saw my literal self be, uh, be in the same shape as my metaphorical self no I'm sorry dear 
Daddy is an actual <laughs> monster. You thought I was just like metaphorically a monster. Happy you know, that, That's the thing though, is like, even then there's, it's portrayed as like a real sense of tragedy. Mm -hmm. Was that like, this was, when he was saying he was keeping her safe from the unclean world, he meant he was the unclean world outside and he was keeping her like bedroom as like this remaining place of purity where he could pretend he was a human being. And now the illusion of that has been shattered. Mm -hmm. There is even, no going back from this moment. This has been ruined. But even still, he wasn't able to pick up with the fact that she could tell something was off. Even though for him, maybe he thought he was keeping it pristine. I, I think he yet. picked up. I think he knew some. She knew something was off. I think he was. I think he deluded himself. There's a layer. There's a layer of denial. I mean, like, not to put too fine a point on it, but it's almost as if he has some uh, parallels with guts. He has a way that he wants to see the world because it's easier for him. But he, you know, that's not who he really is. Yeah, Puck's about to die. Puck's about to die a lot of times in this. <laughs> yeah. But uh, right before that happens, uh, throwing knives in the face because Guts is still up, baby. <laughs> I love my murder goblin. He, he is not looking good, but damn, is he ready to rock. I love Puck just crying like, Guts, you really do care about me. And then Guts is like, well, no, I was actually just waiting for a hostage. What? Proceeds to take hostage. <laughs> Grabs <laughs> Teresa, literally puts her in the way of the attack, knowing it will stop the count. Such a good moment, because, like, this is another case where it's like, the other side's not fighting fair, so why do you expect me to? I get strong burn notice energy from that, where, like, in the first episode, in one of the voiceovers, it's like, the bad guys expect you to just sit around and wait for you, like, those are the rules or something. No, if they're going to come with overwhelming advantages, I'm going to cheat however I can to, to make it in my favor. <laughs> it's not the right thing to do, which is what Puck is always fighting with. Right thing to do like, will you're not you acting like a decent person. He's just like, where is the room for decency right now? Yeah, and you're, I mean, like... <laughs> you're right, I'm not, as Guts pulls out his arm cannon and blows off half of the Count's face. You would not take Guts home to see your mom. You know, like, the, the thing for me is, um, you know, I'm looking at this and it's like, it, it's kind of easy to see that as a condemnation of, like, you know, Paragon heroes and whatnot. But, like, my immediate thought on, the, uh, on that is, like, it doesn't really feel like it's in the same space because what it's really saying is that, like, like the threat level of a series that has, uh, the threat level of a series that has a Paragon hero who wouldn't take a hostage, the threat level of that world is just lower than that of Berserk. This. this is an action born out of necessity, and, like, Guts doesn't feel anything for it. You know, like, like we see Guts has regrets, Guts has doubts, Guts has moments where his uh, internal weakness comes to the surface, but he's never going to apologize for using your young daughter as a human shield because you're an incomprehensible monster with, with godlike powers, what do you want from me? <laughs> Why do you expect me to do anything less? And uh, we have another moment of, again, going just how, uh, showing just how far Guts is willing to go. Uh, his, the fingers on his flesh and blood hand are broken, so he can't pick up his sword. So he carries it in his teeth. He balances it on his cannon arm. Metal arm. And mm -hmm. holds the grip in his teeth, 
for his sword that weighs probably easily over a ton. <laughs> <laughs> and beheads the count with it i'm just saying this man has a superpower we were unaware of his teeth are made of diamond no he just <laughs> uses really really good toothpaste he must <laughs> the the his dental plan immaculate <laughs> the count is defeated in this moment uh he is beheaded and uh, Guts, in a moment of raw schadenfreude, takes a knife and starts carving up the still-alive head. Specifically, he does it in front of the daughter. Mm -hmm. Not because Guts cares about him. He just knows that doing this to him in front of the daughter hurts. Because he can't die. He's pretty aware of that. It's that he knows this hurts him more than death would. Is like no, she needs to know what a monster you are. You are you are some weird kind of slug thing that can't die. I'm gonna keep stabbing you until you wish you were dead. I'm gonna make your daughter watch, and I'm gonna make you watch your daughter watch. Take a good look at a body that doesn't die. I love the next page of this too, because it like it's not guts drawn out. It's the action lines of guts, and it's like this hyper white on stark black kind of movement thing. I really like the page. Mm -hmm. Amazing! You really are superhuman! You don't die, do you? Just this absolute twisted expression on his face. He then proceeds to vomit into her hands, because I think at this point, uh, the mangaka realized, hey, I'm gonna pick my battles here. Yeah. <laughs> and Guts falls apart laughing, which is equally disturbing. <laughs> I mean, like, the, the big thing is, uh, he, he is doing exactly what he himself wanted and what Vargas had asked of him. All of those uh, lost souls in the mass grave, uh, you know, it's like what they were what they were asking for, what Guts is out there doing isn't stopping the bad guy. It's getting retribution because it's all any of them have. But unfortunately, uh, Puck messed everything up. <laughs> the bleeding head drops down as Guts is laughing and uh, wails about how uh, he doesn't want to die as the blood uh, pours onto the behelet, which the weird, twisted facial features reform into an actual face that starts sobbing blood, and then the inside of the Millennium Puzzle. <laughs> oh, well, I was going to say it's the room that... Um... It's the famous M.C. Escher painting. Yeah, well, that's what it actually is. I was going to make a, a reference to Demon Slayer. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, the Infinite Palace. <laughs> Where Muzan uh, took it, everyone. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's the meeting place for, uh, for the God Hand, uh, Dark Yugi, and uh, Muzan and his demons. <laughs> <laughs> They're actually roommates. They split yeah. the rent. Honestly, I'd buy that. <laughs> Muzan would be the worst roommate. Actually, no, the... Ooh, Atem is a pretty bad roommate, actually. He would be a bad roommate, yeah. I am the Atem. pharaoh! Oh, Atem. Atem, we need the... It... Atem, we need the rent for this month. If you want it, you'll have to beat me in a game first. Well, no, I, I was gonna say, like, I, I feel like he'd be the one renting this space out, and, and nobody would be happy about that. Tam, I thought we agreed that the living room was a common area we would all share. But where are my games supposed to go? Attempt <laughs> <laughs> oh, the the uh, the rent seems to keep fluctuating. <laughs> C 
can can we stop deciding rent based off of dice rolls? Because this is uh, this is just not working out for us. Em, I have a question. Why did you allow five demonic lords to rent a single room together? That seems like that's overcrowding the area. <laughs> oh, but oh, speaking of which, it's time for the God Hand to appear. The God Hand turned the swimming pool into a direct portal to hell. Why? <laughs> <laughs> but yes, um. As everyone yeah. is busy trying to comprehend this weird nth dimensional space, uh, five figures show up. Um, I don't know how to describe them, except I want you to imagine every, like, lurid cover of a fantasy novel that, uh, from the 50s to the 70s and mash them all together and then split that mash into five pieces and then you have the god hand because we have brain man <laughs> uh fat baby floating head uh, <laughs> gimp dracula and naked lady i mean she's not naked she's got coverage where it counts the coverage Animal. is literally her folded wings the only actual coverage on her body is her is the like corset she wears ah, modest <laughs> all you need uh-huh but I'm, I'm just saying imagine the cover to garfield super pets but like it was a death metal album <laughs> <laughs> also correct yeah i mean like the, these descriptions they're uh they're disturbingly apt and guts takes one look at uh gimped out dracula also known as Femto, also known as Griffin! I was waiting for that. It took me a minute because I was like, I get it now. I see the beak and the feet. <laughs> oh, because he's a griffin? Yeah. This figure, this smirking asshole that Guts takes one look at, and then 25% of every page going forward is just him screaming Griffith. And then Griffith just telling him he's nothing and inconsequential. Still squirming around in your pitiful existence, I see. What did you just say? I said what I said, bitch! Pitiful existence? If I didn't have, like, 30 broken bones, I'd cut your head off! But you, you know do! I, well, you do! <laughs> Did you know I always hated you? Huh. Funny. I don't think about you at all. <laughs> it really is that energy. Uh, Guts is then summarily ignored by the rest of the godhead, who turn to the Count and uh, start talking about some <laughs> nth dimensional deep lore bullshit that I do not understand, and it made me feel at home. I can't lie. I, yeah, I knew Sam was going to like the part where they start spewing the deep lore of how fate's <laughs> hand has decided the demonic chosen. How dare someone try and fight the ties of fate? And I'm like, oh my god, Sam is just <laughs> waxing off to this. <laughs> as soon as uh, Brain Man said, you who have been ordained by the laws of fate, I'm like, oh, I don't understand a goddamn thing that's happening here. Your desperate desire for life has cleaved open space and brought us here. Oh, yeah! Yes, this is so stupid. See, I love it. This is why we can never leave the dungeon if Sam is in charge. <laughs> yes! That's a that's a whole lot of proper nouns that you're throwing around there, buddy. Oh, I, I, yeah, oh, it sure is. That being said, that is where me and Sam are in line, is we both love proper nouns thrown at the reader without explaining them, because you don't deserve a <laughs> <full> explanation. 
Oh, you want to know? Read more. <laughs> we might give you an explanation. <laughs> might not. You're welcome. Or you could just figure it out. But yeah, uh, the God Hand uh, talked to uh, the Count. And he's like, avenge me, avenge me upon this wretch, the black swordsman. He literally doesn't matter. Why would we do that? He's your enemy. In fact, why is he your enemy? He's not even an ant. Well, other you way around is you don't like, hate him. Yeah, he simply opposed you. Yes, you're mm. more concerned about the fact that your life force is fading than him particularly we are beings of pure hatred and malice you are acting out of a fear of death and uh guts still manages to stand up and pick up his sword with his broken hands and is uh making his way to uh revenge himself upon uh femto and all the other members of the god hand are like "Ooh, interesting he can still stand up and i know this is going to kill jacob but it is Kind of like the moment where uh, Beerus looked at Goku and said, huh, that's that's actually interesting how much power he had. I kind oh. of noticed that. No, yeah, no. I See, see, this is a series that actually intends to work with those themes and synergizes with them. Yeah, no, that's actually a really apt comparison. And so Guts is climbing the staircase like, my petty existence. I'm fighting this army of the dead because of you. You're the... Thanks to me, who's writhing around in my own blood. You stand there putting on airs like some kind of god, Griffith! Enemy. It's, it, they're god hands. What what part of this do you need explained to you? Gr Griffith just stops just short of doing the Chad yes at, at guts. And uh, he, gets, he gets casually brushed aside. Oh, mm -hmm. and I love how his casually brushed aside completely incapacitates guts. And then he proceeds to have to go, I guess we accidentally granted your wish. Well, time to exact payment. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Revenged uh, you upon guts. So uh, we're going to get a sacrifice now, right? Uh, yes. T go, uh, go ahead. Take him. Take the Black Swordsman. We don't care about the Black Swordsman and neither do you. you we already so he's him. already been he's already been contracted or bound it, by his brand. Yeah, he is right. already bound to hell. Yes. You need to give up something that will actually hurt you. Your daughter's right over there. Just speak the phrase. I offer her as sacrifice, and your life will be saved. Become one with demon kind. Obviously, the Count is resistant to this. They show him what awaits him if he simply dies. And uh, a pretty great moment is that uh, Vargas is among the twisted mass of writhing well, souls you skipped over the best part though is uh the daughter's just like no don't and then uh brain boy is just like oh wait does she not know this is hilarious hold on i'm gonna open a portal through space and time so you can watch what your dad did so as was alluded to earlier the count had at one point been out uh inquisitioning against the various heretics and pagans of the area and you might remember how it was supposed to be that they had taken his wife hostage and it was like give us give us the freedom to practice our religion or we will sacrifice her blah, 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 blah. and the count was like no yeah, that was a slightly modified version of a Events, as Brain Man shows with his portal into another time and place, um, 
what really happened to the Count's wife was he went out, he came back home from a good old day of Inquisition and went to go see his beloved wife and stumbled into a giant orgy, a pit of sex and depravity with his wife, with his wife at the center of it, uh, and uh, <clears throat> worshipping a statue of uh, Baphomet, <laughs> a man-goat thing. It, it is amazingly bad timing. <laughs> Uh-huh. Which, by the way, we, we see a, uh, another picture of that statue of Baphomet, and uh, we, we see what it's packing, and then we see the wife astride it, and I'm like, god damn! Can't compete with that. <laughs> oh, no. Game over, man. Game over. Game over. Look, if your wife leaves you for Baphomet, I, I don't know what to tell you, buddy. <laughs> I don't know what, yeah. <laughs> Plenty of fish in the sea. That's that, uh, yeah. That's rough, but uh, might not be the worst thing in the world. Exactly. Um, That's why she liked it. Anyway. Um, <laughs> and, anyway, Teresa is freaking out at the image of this orgy, and uh, it only gets worse as the Count in the past image flies into a blind rage and murders everybody except his wife. Who can't and bring himself to, uh, to swing a sword at her. And she has the most eating grin on her face because she knew he couldn't do it. So rather than do that, rather than live with this pain, the Count goes to end his own life. But rather than do that, he was near the Behelet that was there at the uh, orgy. And the wailing of his soul opened a portal to the God Hand. And notably, only four silhouettes in that image. Keep that in mind. And uh, he he couldn't bring himself to do violence onto the woman he loved directly, offering her as a sacrifice to someone else. That's impersonal enough that he was able he to it. go through with it. And here we are. He transformed into the into the giant slug monster and consumed her corpse. And that hideous image, that terrible tableau, is burned into Teresa's eyes. Also, he could transcend his very humanity. And the last thing he has to do is give up the only thing still attaching himself to, to his humanity. Just speak the phrase. You know, because, uh, you know, like, this is a, this is a incredibly dark series. If that summary of the scene that happened is not blindingly Didn't drive obvious. that home. <laughs> but the thing that really, uh, the thing that got me invested is I don't think it's fair to say that Berserk is at least completely nihilistic because the Count can't do it. He sees what the alternative is. He sees how bad the alternative is, but he can't because like the big thing is for, for whatever else happened, his daughter is genuinely innocent of all of this. For his own doing. So it's kind of like I, with that knowledge that she is purely innocent in all of this and the fact that deep down he is a loving, he was a loving husband and a loving father. He, well, I, that's sort of the big thing. He's a person. He's not a caricature. He's not a villain. He is someone who went through something awful, made all the wrong choices and made it worse. But like, he's still a person at the end of the day and he can't take that like you know like 
obviously there are people out there who are willing to take the last step because there were four god hands in the flashback um mm -hmm. and through cultural osmosis we get a flashback of young griffith beginning of the next chapter like it's... yeah we and and also through cultural osmosis i am aware of of how griffith, griffith got there at least the broad strokes as guts is again laying in a pile of corpses uh this a young... seems to be a trend yeah <laughs> uh, a much younger guts with both eyes and both arms but yeah no the, the the important thing to me is that like for all of this awfulness he's still a person and there there is a kind of hope in that you know because so many times guts is made to be helpless and he keeps going anyway and he's beaten two demons that so hideously outclass him he shouldn't have stood a chance for all the darkness it's not just trying to be morose it actually like, like there there is a hope that not necessarily like like not necessarily that things will be okay for guts in particular but like there's reason to keep going the count accepts death and going to hell because the alternative is unacceptable to him um the the god hand are displeased at how boring that answer is um the thread of fate is severed we were gonna fun guys oh there's there's also the moment of uh like a drop of water you'll simply dissolve becoming no more than another swell in the ocean of dark souls <laughs> <laughs> and then they open the portal to hell and then all the skeletons come out of a spiral ah okay yep they come out of the spiral and uh including vargas poor vargas uh as i alluded to earlier he had uh some virtue in him he acted virtuous occasionally but the hatred and vengeance in his soul still resonated too closely to demon kind and so the afterlife dragged him down into the abyss that's actually not my read of the situation i think that vargas chose to be there because the thing oh, is, really? he's the one who grabs the count in the end. Yeah, I was about to say, what this is, is Vargas's curse. He Vargas? was, oh. This guy was brought down by the Black Swordsman, and then the souls of everyone he wronged would drag him to hell. Vargas mm. wanted to be there in that moment, even if it meant spending the rest of eternity in hell, because he had to have a literal hand in dragging that scumbag down to where he belonged. To and his it's, reward. It's really tragic because, you know, like you can see that like Vargas isn't a bad person. He mm -hmm. he deserves peace, but he'll never get it because he was too devoted to his revenge. It's one of those ones where it's like, I don't know how, you know, it's like, obviously, I don't, you know, know the breadth of the series. Um, but like, you know, what point is too far? You mm -hmm. know, could could Vargas have just accepted hopefully someone will drag the count to hell where he belongs and i can just accept moving on to you know whatever mm. is you know on the other side you know i mean nothing you mean like is... puck suggested yeah I, exactly like puck suggested and like you know it's like it, it might be nothingness for all any of the characters no it's death you don't come back from it but all you know for sure is that hell is worse mm-hmm you know, because it's nothingness and a suffering. We've not seen enough of Berserk to know for sure, uh, you know, how to feel about this. But, like, I can't help but feel pity for Vargas going that far. 
you know? It could be that he has a sort of weird inverse nirvana. The way that the hell is described is it is all of negative human emotion and also that you lose yourself within it. Mm-hmm. And there could be a sort of peace in that oblivion, even if it is a piece of eternal hate. Yeah, like, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure I can even feel pity for Vargas, because I think he got what he wanted. Yeah. Because he, he lived mm-hmm. his life in negativity and this hatred, and he died in that hatred, and he is going to dissolve into the singular emotion of hatred that fuels hell. But he has the added benefit of the person he hated is suffering with him. It's complicated. Yeah, it's complicated. You could ab- you could absolutely rightly say that that is not healthy and not a good way to look at it. But at the same time, he got what he wanted. The nice thing you can put on your tombstone wasn't mm-hmm. healthy, but I got what I wanted in the end. That's more than some people can say. To end this uh, visit to the God Hand and the other dimension, Guts is starting to get dragged down to hell as well because he's got the brand on him. And he manages to reload his arm cannon, fire upon Femto, and the cannonball harmlessly shatters on an invisible shield. But the back blow does knock him free of the skeleton chain, and he and Puck and Teresa are deposited back into the world of the living to live out their pitiful existences. And we get yet another absolutely brilliant scene because needless to say teresa's not okay right now i mean yeah. no. how she's, can you be well she had everything she's known was told to be a lie and then mm-hmm. also her dad was a literal monster blatant supernatural nonsense that she just doesn't want to believe was real at this point even if she's like capable of sublimating all that, of uh, packing that away, of denying it, she's still thrust back into a world where her father is dismembered upon a bunch of shattered stones like a sacrifice on an altar. Mm-hmm. There's no escaping that. Very sad, but very understandable reaction of just wanting to end it all. She can't handle it. And I'd, I'd rather be dead. And like... Guts throws her a knife. It's so harsh and it's so cruel. But the truth is, there are so many cases where, and I I myself have had some dark thoughts at times, it would be easier if I just ended it. But the truth is, when push comes to shove, most people just can't do it. And I, I, I think that that is a really, really good thing. And guts phrases it so cruelly but like he throws it back at her like if that's what you want then do it don't just sit there and keep saying you're going to do it she she picks up the knife but like she can't actually go through it like like guts is Mm -hmm. like just open your wrists you could end it right now if that's what you want then do it but she can't bring herself to actually go through the motion this is something that has been done many times over the course of media but like it I, I love when this sort of scene happens where here's this person who's seriously contemplating a permanent solution to a temporary problem. The the castle is crumbling, so she gets cliffed. And Guts puts out his sword because it's the only thing at hand long enough to to catch her so that she can grab onto it if she wants to. Mm-hmm. That's an impersonal thing. That's not even doing the deed yourself, which is in a lot of cases, the hardest, you know, like like the biggest mental barrier one can have for that sort of thing. 
Yeah, like this entire scene is essentially boils down to is the guts wants her to acknowledge she wants to live. And she is literally holding herself up from falling into a pit. That is the easiest thing in the world. It is no effort on your part. It is a lack and of effort to go through with it at that it point. Takes, it takes more effort to survive at that point because she's yeah. holding on to a sharp blade of a sword. Her hands mm -hmm. are bleeding. Again, metaphors. It's literally painful to hold on, but she needs to keep living. She acknowledges that. It's been used so many times, but this is an example of it being done so freaking well. You know, it, it, it's if you really want to die, then you could have just let go. Mm -hmm. And the truth of the matter is you don't want to end it because, you know, continuing on to live is the only thing that you really can do my favorite part comes after that though is she yeah realizes she wants to live but there's still like a lot of anger about this situation she's upset at the situation and a lot of things and the thing is guts is the person who's still alive right now so guess who she can be angry at guess who she can want who can give her satisfaction by hurting because he caused all of this him being here put this into motion that is a target for vengeance and Time and time again, we see people in Berserk motivated by vengeance because it's all they have. I love this moment so much because, like, this is the most overt that we see sadness and pain and regret on Guts's face as he's walking away. Mm -hmm. um, and like, it, it ain't subtle either. Like, it's not yeah. like a subtle look. He is destroyed. Like, uh, tears. There are tears. I love that they don't have Puck explain what he sees when he sees her emotions when he heals her. He just goes, oh, no. They, thank God they didn't feel the need to like go <laughs> to explain that, that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's phrased incredibly cruelly, and this is not something that you could say to a person in real life. But from a character perspective, like that idea of "I want to kill myself," will then do it, knowing that they can't because they don't really want that. They just want the easy way out. That's such a brilliant moment, and there is a lot of emotional maturity in the character. Again, not a real life thing you could ever do, but yes. you know, from the from the element of hyperbolized characters, that is a show of emotional maturity from Guts. Unfortunately, what then immediately follows is he knows and he's intentionally letting it happen. Blind rage is what has kept me motivated. So, that's all I can think to give you. And he accepts this. Mm -hmm. And that's not the right thing to do. You know, I mean, like... You, it, can, you can almost tell that he knows that it's not right. Because, you know, she declares that she'll kill him. And he says, fine, I'm ready whenever you are. As he keeps walking away, you know, trying to look all cool and callous. And then Puck flies over and we get the shot of his face. And he's crying. He's ugly crying. He's yeah. not okay. He's, he's wiping away tears on his cloak. It's... Yeah, he's like, cool, I motivated her to survive. Great, I've made another miserable wretch like myself. As the way to articulate all of this is, no, you don't want to die, you just want the pain to stop. Sort of the thing that I, I take away from, from that ending scene where Guts imparts the blind rage onto another person. And like, like this is very overtly a case where Guts isn't even pretending he's not doing this out of the kindness of his own heart. Like, he... He is doing whatever he can to help this person out of pure empathy. And the, the, the genuine sadness on his face is, is 
you know, the evidence of that. But like, it's easy for someone on the other side of the page looking at that, like, but no, it's not Guts's fault. The people who are responsible are the God Hand. So mm. have her direct her rage at that. But like, Guts cannot process any of this. She cannot process any of this. Those two having a rational conversation about how awful the God Hand are. Like, like, because Guts uh, doesn't care about the God Hand. I think Guts could absolutely process what her situation is, and but he's not able to. I think his issue is he wouldn't be able to convince her. Because he could very easily say, you shouldn't be mad at me, be mad at the God Hand. And she'd be like, but... But you're here. But, like, here's here. another thing, though. Guts doesn't care about the God Hand. He hates Griffith. Like, mm -hmm. that's the other important element. Like, he didn't care about any of the other ones. He's not doing this to, like, free the world of demons or anything. He's personally revenging himself. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and, and it's so easy to, from a safe place, say, well, it's obviously not Guts's fault. It's the God Hand's fault. But, like... How could you ask them to think that rationally after everything they've both been through? Well, if we actually want to be technical, it's her father's fault. Because he's the, one <laughs> well, who made the, he's the one who made the arrangement in the first place. Here's the fun thing about a nuanced story. It can be multiple people's fault. Yeah, it's a lot of people's fault. <laughs> Technically, to some degree, it's Puck's fault. Like, that's the thing. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Puck is completely innocent because he's adorable and has pretty eyes. I don't think that's how this works. But that's not how that works. <laughs> this does bring us to the end of our reading. So uh, dovetailing into the discussion, as is typical with an action-heavy uh, series like this, we pair favorite character with favorite fight. Oh, man. Um, you know, I went into this expecting Guts to be my favorite character, and to a large extent, he is, uh, for all the reasons that we discussed previously. But... Man, I did not expect to love Puck as much as I did. Well, I think if we did a future episode, I would say Guts. For now, I'm going to give it to Puck as uh, the uh, kind of the Dark Horse favorite. Ah. Hey. That's who publishes it. Hey. As for favorite fight, the fight with the Count is spectacular and has a lot of cool uh twists and turns and tricks that i really enjoy out of fights like this but i think in terms of just like raw character emotion uh guts versus the skeletons in the woods is uh that's just the most illustrative condensing into a single chapter you know everything that's going to be happening emotionally in this story you know chapter one was here's the basic plot beat Chapter two was, and now here's all the feels you'll get out of it. And also some rad ass action. And it had my single favorite two page spread, which is just full demon mode guts carving into that uh, army of skeletons. Like, I know it's him in a bad emotional place, but cool. It's really cool. Yeah. There's a reason why people get into bad emotional places. They have a tendency of being easy. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, that, that can be very cool. Uh, Matt, favorite character and favorite fight? Well, I mean, Guts, obviously. He's he's the best. And, like, Sam, I would agree with you if I was going to pick my favorite fight based on the fight I would most want to make a Foo Fighters AMV off of. But um, <laughs> uh, I really liked the second uh, Zonduk fight where he went full Junji Ito tentacle monster and just like, <laughs> you can't defeat me. I am constantly regrowing. 
And I <laughs> I think the lighting was better in it than fighting the giant slug count. Even though they had like the same idea and one was a much larger scale, I liked the more like person to person size of that fight. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the second Zondark fight is is great. The the tight co- the tight quarters, the uh weird Jinji Ito monster, it's it's a lot of fun visually. It ends with a like uh haha, you fell for my trap. Oh no! <laughs> oh no, I have fallen for the trap. Uh all right. Uh Jay, favorite character, favorite fight. Easy, it's Puck. Just so much emotional growth of a in a character. Um, and obviously the comedic relief. Um, being able to at times act as a liaison between, you know, the reader and what's going on plot wise and the inner turmoils the characters are experiencing, being the voice of reason, being adorable. <laughs> yes, Puck. Um, as far as favorite fight, um, being a general fan of like hack and slash, it keeps my attention. I have to say, I enjoyed, um, guts's interaction with the guards yeah that that was definitely the part where the doom music started playing in my head (laughs) rip and tear the only thing they fear is you (laughs) definitely not in this setting but they really should (laughs) true jacob favorite character favorite fight uh so favorite character is easy by a country mile vargas uh not to say that the other characters were the least bit bad but man the subtlety and nuance to his story and i think the thing that stood out to me was and like this was also true for the count as well but he just had less like raw panel time the thing that really stood out to me is that the way like like the way that framing was used to emotionally prime you to have one thought like like one set of thoughts about a character and using that to show, no, it's not that easy. Like, I think I think a lot of the, the sense that it strips away the romanticism of storytelling comes from the idea that stories have to frame things in a certain way to, you know, have a point and get it across to a person. Mm-hmm. But that can often simplify it. And that's not a bug of storytelling. That's a feature. Like, you know, paring things down and shining a a light on a particular element of the human condition is standard practice for storytelling. But it can then get lost in the simplicity of it. And uh, particularly where Vargas is concerned and, like, the choices he makes... uh, set against the way that he's framed at different points of his story arc really show and illustrate that you know because i mean berserk is still a story it's not it's not literally real life it still exaggerates it still stylizes the the world uh you know to make it um interesting to experience despite how dark it gets but i thought this was real life no 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 you're telling me this is anime (laughs) anime tonight (laughs) anime tonight (laughs) but um you know i mean like so there there's still the element of framing you know there is still the element of you kind of know that like guts is going to defeat this hulking you know human and that you know even when he gets demon powers the same thing is going to end up happening again but the way that vargas is used to shine a spotlight on framing was really fascinating to me from a storytelling perspective 
as for favorite fight, um, we actually all have a different one, as it turns out. I will say this. My my one thing about Berserk, and this isn't a complaint or a critique. This is just a me personally thing. Hyperviolence tends to lose me very quickly. It starts to blend together in my mind very quickly, and I tend not to find hyperviolence fights that interesting. Um, however, uh, one one thing that did stand out in my mind was actually the final fight against uh uh von dark where uh <laughs> there's the moment of ha you fool you didn't know you could strike my weak point for massive damage oh i can strike your weak point for massive damage slap <laughs> oh no my weak point i'm taking massive damage <laughs> and then and then slamming the the rest of the slug thing against the wall like like the, the there there's a level of irreverence where it's like it's like in a different story that was significantly less nuanced that would be guts's regular thing and it's fun so seeing a bit of that in the moment was <laughs> quite enjoyable in its own way all right so uh i am going to uh recuse myself of the next question because i know the answer to this but uh for the rest of y'all how do you think guts reached this point this is a prologue portion of the story. This is sort of the 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 bit we read is sort of an in media res of uh, guts at a established point in his life, so to say. But uh, clearly, a lot of shit happened to get him to this point. Well, I think he lost an eye at some point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know if he. I believe that he lost a physical eye, but gained some kind of supernatural power that resides in his eye socket and allows him to see an inner truth of some kind. Jay, you're thinking of Kakashi. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I will Kikashi's say Kakashi's everywhere. Kakashi <laughs> goes back to Berserk. <laughs> um. I will say, I, I am, uh, again, from cultural osmosis, vaguely aware that Guts and Griffith were, at one point, friends. And, like, we see in, like, a, a bit of a brief flashback that, like, they were they were soldiers and... Um, Wild soldiers. Knowing what we know about, like, the God Hand trying to induct a sixth member, it feels to me, to a large extent, like, the specifics of it are... But something happened where Griffith grew to hate Guts personally and used him as a sacrifice to gain power. He says as much that, like, you know, I did this to be a somebody, you know, oh. in what we saw. Man, Jacob, I, I had the opposite. I thought he loved Guts and used him as a sacrifice to gain power. Like, I've avoided spoilers reviews, but I, I've seen clips of the anime that... Uh, I think it's both, but I don't know, and I'd rather be unspoiled for <laughs> when we inevitably do a part two, so... <laughs> I only have vague memories of the animated series, and all I can remember is uh, Griffith being voices, Hey, Guts! <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I remember, like, forget about voice acting, I remember seeing some clips that had some subtext to them that... I mean, hey, I mean, uh, Berserk is transgressive. If uh, a 90s series that actually, like, you know, does something like that, I'd, look, I'd be about it. Look, all I'm saying is there are only so many ways that you can splash around naked in a pond with your brow. <laughs> <laughs>
But yeah, I mean, like Guts, <laughs> Guts basically being used as a stepping stone for uh, Griffith's ambitions. Uh, like I, I, from cultural osmosis, know that that's the broad strokes. That's not even but... cultural osmosis. I think that's pretty much confirmed with what we read. Like Guts oh, has a brand true. on him for some reason and hates Griffith. I think that's enough yeah. right there. Yeah. But um, but yeah, with with that in mind, um, gaining the power of the God Hand was described. What I feel is the like trajectory of their relationship is they were friends maybe more and at some point griffith grew to in addition to that uh that affection grew to also hate guts and then proceeded to betray him horribly um proceeded to try human transmutation which cost <laughs> his guts an eye and an arm <laughs> i mean i was just gonna go off of like kind of like fallen angel fallacy the fact that power got in the way of their relationship obviously and what was originally supposed to be somebody who sought to do while also gaining power and or influence something switched and did a turn for the worse the power became the most important part yeah, and the only reason I say that is because at the end there, when they kind of peeked into um, Griffith's, like, and Guts's backstory, it kind of seemed like there was, like, light surrounding Griffith. Like, I don't know if that was just, like, his recollection, like, maybe... Oh, no, Gr Griffith looks like he's portrayed as an angel, which yeah. is then counterbalanced with what he looks like after becoming a god hand. I think that's purposeful. Oh, yes. yeah. So it's kind of like... and. I don't know. I haven't, like I said, I kind of steer, steered clear of that genre because it was so dark and gritty and quite honestly, um, probably something I would not have gravitated towards. Like there's, I have a certain, I have a certain type and it's <laughs> not those hard gritty manga. I kind of have to be tricked and or forced to read them. <laughs> Keep that in mind for the next episode then. And uh, would you continue reading? I suspected that this would be a yes from me, and now it is confirmed. It is an absolute yes from me. I uh, will continue reading. I must know more. <laughs> How about you, Jake? So yeah, uh, this is definitely going to be a yes from me. Like, it's mostly fight scene, but given the length of the chapters, I feel like I'm not going to get around to it until we do another episode on it. But regardless, I look greatly forward to that. Um... And I think the thing that's big for me is that this is a very, very, very dark series. And I have seen so many things that are this dark, but like the message of it is, well, life's pointless. You're just going to have to deal with that. And like, I, I lose interest in that so quickly because like, why am I going to be invested in this if, if it's all just nothing but suffering all the way through? What Berserk mm -hmm. does is it is the darkest, like it is one of the darkest things I've ever seen. And without undercutting that darkness in the slightest, it still has a point of hope to look toward. It might be false hope, but it's there. I feel like it, it, it threads a very delicate balance of extremely harsh, like this is the worst that the world can be, you know, real world suffering, you know, like the manga. And yet it still makes me feel like it's not a certainty, but there's a chance it might turn around in the end. It does a good job of being extremely dark and not letting hope undercut the darkness, yet still feel like there's a reason, that there is a chance, you know? Indeed.
Uh, Jay, would you continue reading? I think so. I think I would read it, continue reading, just because I do enjoy the fights and how visceral it feels. It's Definitely. very Helsing in how much... Uh, <laughs> yes! That's not, I that's didn't not get true. a chance to reveal my headcanon, but... What, what is your headcanon? Now's as great a time as any. Okay, so this obviously was dispelled, but I thought in an alternate universe how um, maybe Guts would precede the Helsing organization and Alucard would somehow emerge from like the gates of hell or something, and they would vibe. That would be so cool, but there's no way you could mesh those tones at all. Yeah. <laughs> that would be really cool. But yeah. that that is not it. Because Alucard's whole thing is kind of like lavishing in the pointlessness of it all, and the only thing that ma matters is human life. So it's like Yes. They are I told very you that it was unraveled, okay? I kept <laughs> saying this. I, I would read a fanfic about that. I'd like to oh, see I, someone try. I would read the hell out of that fanfic. <laughs> Indeed. All right. And Matt, would you continue reading? No, I don't like Dark Souls. All right. No. And with that <laughs> opinions out of the way. <laughs> no, of course, of course I'd continue reading this. This is so my jam. This is hyperviolence. This is um finding light in what is otherwise a helpless situation. Even if it's you deluding yourself that it's light, it's still something to keep going forward to. This is my jam in like a lot of things. This is actually a little uplifting compared to a lot of the more darker things I read, but you know. That explains a lot. Yeah. As established, my and Matt's taste are not exactly the same, which is fine, but you oh, know. Oh man, J Jacob, when I heard this is the darkest thing you've ever read, do I have some picks? <laughs> <laughs> I said among, because this is, this is actually pretty close to Chainsaw Man. Chainsaw Man that super dark. It was gritty, but... Yeah, Chainsaw Man's gritty. The overall tone of Chainsaw Man is not dark, but kind of hard to when you have one is person it? who is a demon who shouts Halloween instead of talking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it turns out her inner monologue, if you actually translate that, is pretty freaking dark. <laughs> yeah, Chainsaw Man is a bit more on the absurd side, but again, we have five episodes on that. Go listen to them. <laughs> All in order. Indeed. And uh, thank you once again, everyone, for tuning in to the Over Manga Cast. Uh, as always, you can find us on all of your social medias where we are at Over Manga Cast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and probably something else. I don't know. Your toaster. Your toaster. Sure. OnlyFans. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> I need to figure out how that would work. <laughs> Uh, very carefully and with great skill. Also, be sure to like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube, where the uh, episodes go up a week after they go up on your podcatcher of choice. Uh, it's a good way to comment on an individual episode, give us uh, some of that good, good traction, and uh, get involved in the discussion. We sure had a lot of it this one. Uh, we also appreciate uh, reviews on your podcatcher of choice. Those help us out a lot. Yep, iTunes, uh, Podchaser, uh, wherever you want. Uh, we love hearing them. And also, as always, if uh, you have any recommendations for series we can read, uh, send them to us. Um, when we have an opening in our schedule, we like to fill those in with uh, things we've gotten from other people. Indeed. Uh, if anyone has any fan fiction of Guts and Alucard, please send. I want to read this. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Send it to www. At. <laughs> <laughs> send it to uh, overmangacast at gmail.com 
and uh make sure to tune in next week where next thursday we are uh doing something a bit more lighthearted. thank god <laughs> <laughs> well i don't know about that <laughs> actually yeah depending on what arc we're getting into but uh after goodbye ari and then berserka how about some hero walk everybody <laughs> <laughs> that can't possibly get sad. That can't possibly get sad. Surely not. I I have no idea. Twitter is just constantly complaining. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> that is Twitter. That is Twitter. No one's real. <laughs> no one's real on Twitter. Chapters seventy through ninety-seven. We will uh, see you all next Thursday. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night, everybody. Plus Ultra. Plus Ultra. <laughs>